and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast where Yao Man is only not nice, but he sucks. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and Mary? Uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and like another Mikey B, I also have a tattoo of a ticket stub on my back. <laughs> um, and I'm Paul Ostelson, um, also known as the loser pig of this podcast. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. All right, and we are here in, in one of the most eagerly anticipated of all our seasons we've talked about. We are here to talk about Survivor Micronesia fans versus favorites. It's about time. I feel like, Paul, we're really hitting your prime as far as everything goes. Maybe not for, like, you know, Survivor stump knowledge and stuff like that, uh, but but more along the lines of we are, like, peak Amanda Kimmel at this point. Yeah, Paul finally well, graduated fourth grade, and he watched this season. <laughs> No, you this is my, at home every day. This is my senior year of high school. Very vivid memories from watching China in the fall and uh, Micronesia in the spring. I can't remember. I was thinking about this today, and I, I sometimes I can't remember what stories I've shared on what podcast or if I've done it all. Have I talked about what happened in between China and Micronesia for me, the fallout of China and going into Micronesia? I'm assuming I mean, not. If, if, if you did, I'm sure I forgot it and or don't care. So, so please. <laughs> Man, you would have thought I would have talked about some fan fiction I wrote there, but um, hey, that's a trigger word. But, Does but this involve I'll, you knocking I'll, over your brother in a challenge or something? No, but I'll throw this in here. So when when China came to a close, like everyone was saying that Amanda was going to win, and I was like so like locked into that that was going to happen. And then when she didn't win, I was pretty upset. And then I was getting, but like the thing that kind of kept me alive was like I was really going to be excited for um, Survivor All Stars too. I had put in my picks who I thought was going to win. I had I had made um, some printouts of I, you know I took the pictures of Survivors and like tried out different things. And I had I had my list of who I thought for sure was going to be on the show and stuff. And then I find out about this format, and I was so pissed off. I had this moment where I was like, I am done. Like, not completely done, but like, I am done being a super fan of this show. I actually took any Survivor memorabilia I had, and I put it in a box, and I put it under um, the stairs in my house. And I was like, whatever. I'm just, what we'd say today is I'm just going to be a casual. I'm just going to watch the show once. I'm not going to rewatch it. I don't care if I record it. I'm so over the season. I put everything in a box and locked it away and was like, hey, whatever, stupid Survivor with your dumb format, that's going to suck. Um, and I think by the time we get to the end of recapping the season, I can uh, explain why I was one back over. But this was a dark time heading into the premiere of Survivor Micronesia for me. I can't believe you gave your Survivor memorabilia the Harry Potter treatment and put it in a cupboard under the stairs. <laughs> I did. I have, this, I have this like this this motion of Paul, like you know, angrily like in in the movies, you know, taking everything on his desk and just swiping it off and in in one motion, and then and then throwing it in a box and then sitting there in the Montana skyline and maybe some well, cows are mooing in the background. Well, luckily there were not, goes, a, there I were can't a lot stay of, mad at you. Well, there were a lot of buffs to like kind of cushion any like breakable items. Like I have a, a, a Guatemala like jar thing with a lid on it that I put all my coins in. Like I didn't want that to break. So luckily I kind of padded it with some, um, some buffs. So I don't think anything broke in that dramatic, um, throwing, putting away of all my survivor items. It's a good official term there. A Guatemala jar thing. That's really doing it like the Mayans did it. (laughs) A miniature survivor Guatemala urn. That's so gay. (laughs) Wow, callback joke. Fantastic. (laughs) 
right. Well, it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate callback season, right? We're going to get in this first episode an entire montage of each of what these people did. We didn't even get that in All Stars. Right, and you know we've got returnees, so we're going to definitely get Guatemala return. Oh, wait a minute. Wah, wah. Yeah, this is why I wish I could do the prices right, Horn. For <laughs> Guatemala, no one ever comes back, and don't say Stephanie because that does not count. <laughs> oh my God, Gary. Okay. Oh, yeah. This is something Paul alluded to. This will be a big theme here in the podcast because I know our thing is talking about these seasons in historical perspective. But yeah, the the point of Micronesia going into the season was that it was All Stars too. So I mean, this the one thing you need to know about this season in the premiere, the hype, all the stuff leading up to the season. It was you know season eight was All Stars. I guess we're going to do an All Stars every eight seasons. So season sixteen will be All Stars right. too. So this that that's what you have to think of when you when you think of Micronesia that this was not really a fans versus favorites thing at the start it kind of morphed into that. Well, I mean, and we should we should probably talk about more a little bit more about that as well because if you look back at the articles that were published, even during back of like the Fiji Cook Islands era, they were talking about how oh yep season sixteen is going to be all stars. I mean, there's this article that came out in People magazine uh, around the finale of Survivor Fiji that reads Survivor All Stars is back. Another exciting edition of Survivor All Stars is in the works, but it's for losers only. No winners will be back, confirms an insider who says the show will be composed of contestants from seasons 9 through 15 and will go into production after Survivor China wraps in July. On the producer's wish list, villain Shane Powers and fan favorites Sari Fields, Jen Lyon, Jeff Wilson, Ian Rosenberger, and Terry Dietz. So even two seasons beforehand, it's it's probably not as big as the All-Stars hype, but there was a lot of hype that was building three, four seasons back for this season. Yeah, Prominently is, featured on that list, Jeff Wilson. Not fan featured, favorite. Papa Smurf. <laughs> yeah, it, that's quite a success rate since I think they only got one out of the seven on their little wish list there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but their death rate is one for seven as well, so I guess they're, they're balancing it out. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So this is kind of the big question, and I don't know if we even know the answer to this. I know I certainly don't know the answer that you guys might... Um, was this ever intended to be really an All-Stars 2? Because the, the producers, right after you know Micronesia was announced in Fans vs. Favorites, they said, oh no, it was never intended to be All-Stars. We just did that so we could have all these people we invited and they, they wouldn't be able, to be able to make pregame alliances. And so the, the producers kind of backed up, remember, uh, kind of uh, backtracked a little bit after the season came out, saying, oh no, it was always supposed to be Fans vs. Favorites. We just didn't want the players to be able to prepare for it. So... It's one of these things that's kind of interesting about this season, and I will say just right now that one of my favorite things about Micronesia, and to this day I still say this, is that All-Star Survivor Season 8, it's usually, the acronym for it is usually ASSS, when you read about it on the message boards, and since Micronesia was like a half All-Star season, people like to say half-ass, so that's something you'll read a lot on the message boards, that Micronesia is the half-ass season, and that's always what I kind of thought of it too, like it was kind of kind of thrown together at the last minute it seemed like to me but i don't know how truthful the producers are when they say it was never intended to be a full all-stars well let me read a quote that speaks to that uh jeff probes explained to reporters i guess in an article around the time uh sort of what you were saying mario we refer to it as the big con 
We alluded to the fact that there would be 20 people on this season. So when we started talking to some of the favorites, they figured there must be 20 favorites going on, and it's an all-star season. So we had 20 people on the hook thinking they were going, knowing all along we were only taking 10, and that the other 10 would be fans. So that for us was important because we knew all these favorites were talking on the phone to each other and trying to build alliances before the show even started. So we wanted to complicate it a little bit, and I think it worked. And I guess editorializing a little bit, yeah, I don't know how much that holds water. I'm more so in the boat of there was a group of 20 people, and I can probably bring up the 20 or at least a group of 20 theorized people a little bit later on. And either they weren't able to get them on or they just felt that half of them were quote-unquote duds, so then they just dropped them at the last second. I don't know if I like this, if I'm into this whole, oh yeah, there were 20 to begin with, but we decided to cut half at the last minute to really shake up their games. Yeah. I do know the common wisdom at the time and what I did believe at the time and what most people thought at the time was that they really were trying for an all-star two season and they just couldn't get a lot of top tier all-stars because people were saying no and they just couldn't get a season that would really feel like an all-stars. So they kind of made up this format at the last minute to save face. Oh, yeah, we always plan to do that. So that's that's always again, that's that's what I kind of think happened. But if there were proof that that's not true, I I could be convinced otherwise. Well, I mean, I'm I'm in the camp of, like, I know just thinking about how Heroes versus Villains, I know that Jeff has said before that they were kind of down to three possibilities for formats. And, you know, at the very last minute or, or down to the wire, then CBS decides, okay, we're going to go with this format of an all-star season. And so that kind of shifted who they were able to actually put on the show. So it would be, you know, my my belief that, they had they they had a, a cast of twenty that would be ready to go if that was the way that the show and the network wanted to go. The last call was that okay, we're going to do half all stars and half um, you know fans here. So I feel like they have a group there that they're eventually going to use at some point. I don't think they go ahead and cast twenty just to mess with their heads with no payoff for. I mean, what payoff did that give for for anyone actually watching the show? So I think that's a bit of some revisionist history there. The other thing that you sort of have to think about is you have to look at the breakdown of the people that they brought back. Um, in theory, they're bringing back, you know, as we all sort of thought that we we thought that season 16 would be another all-star season because it was every eight or so. And, you know, one of the questions that we had was, well, are they going to pull from all six or all previous 15 seasons? Or are they just going to go from seasons nine through 15? And that's sort of what I thought was going to happen. Well, they got 10 people to go to uh, Survivor Micronesia. One's from Pearl Islands, so not within the time frame. And then you have three people from Cook Islands, two of which were on the same starting tribe. Uh, two from Vanuatu, who were on the same starting tribe. And two from China, who were on the same starting tribe. And, and then a bunch of ones. So it's like, if you're sitting here going like, oh, we made a big con, and they were calling each other for pregame alliances, it's like, Okay, yeah, we totally thwarted that by casting a bunch of people who were on tribes together on their initial seasons. (laughs) That's a good point. I never thought about that. So I have a list of of some prospective people that would have been honored, apparently. And I know that I'd say that probably the two biggest Survivor contestant spoilers out there, aside from Russell, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on down the line, are Jeff Varner and Kobe from Survivor Palau. Kobe seems to be the leak for this season because apparently he was on the list and I remember back on his MySpace page back in the day uh, he posted you know oh this person got a call this person got a call so I think this is the list that was cobbled together and I got this from uh, realitytvspoiler.com this is the list of names they had 
Uh, and this is only from 9 through 15. So I guess somewhere along the way, they said, okay, we're going to bring fair play in. And of course, it's, an, it's a returning player season. So apparently, Michael Scoopin is in contention at some point somehow. Oh, sure. Yeah. But this is the list that we have. Uh, Eliza, Julie, Amy, Katie, Ian, Jen, Kobe, Lydia, Judd, Gary, Terry, Sari, Shane... Ozzy, Parvati, Jonathan, Yao Man, Michelle, Courtney, and James. Now, I know that I think there were some people that definitely turned it down. Like, I know Courtney definitely turned it down. Apparently, they had also approached, even though they said no winners, no winners, apparently they had approached Tom Westman, and Tom just sort of gave this blanket statement to Jeff of, oh, I'm never going back because I was seen as a hero, and why would I want to sully my reputation? Cue, you know, four seasons later when he does exactly that. Um, I know Candace was asked, but she was in medical school at the time. Apparently, Sandra was asked. So again, a little murky as to what criteria the producers were using. But I don't know if you guys know any names that really st- stuck out from amongst that group. But I mean, they did end up picking uh, everyone from that alleged group of people, with one glaring exception. That's not Johnny Fairplay. Yeah, it's if you go on the internet, there's like 45 different people that claim. They were almost cast on Micronesia and were cut like at the last minute. So it's one of those things I never know who to believe. And I'm sure the producers were calling people they weren't really interested in just to see their their just to see what their situation was. But yeah, it's one of those things. There's so many names out there and so many people reporting this. I don't really know who came all that close and who didn't. It's tough to produce to prove anything. Well, it's you know to to talk. I, I wish I had this like in proof somewhere. But I remember when I was like trying to figure out who the twenty would be. Um, I think maybe maybe I had 18. I can't remember what I decided on. But I, I remember I got down to this one pick, and I was like, you know what? You know what I think is going to be on this? And I had to kind of justify it. But I said, I think Danielle DiLorenzo, I think they're going to bring her back. I think they're going to stick her on the season. I was about four seasons too soon, but I was on to something. <laughs> that's, that's good, Paul. Danielle apparently was busy being a motivational speaker. She could not come back and play. Ah, with those girls. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to read one more thing, and it's not really like All-Stars 2 as much as it is it sort of a commentary on the previous All-Star season, and even though this is half-ass, it does connect with, I remember at the end of our All-Stars coverage, Mario, you gave a quote from Jeff that he'd give after All-Stars where he said like, well, we're not doing that again, and it's clear that it's a season that he really didn't enjoy, and realitytvworld.com had asked him before Micronesia, you know, you decried the season at the end of it. Why go back to returning players? And I thought this was an interesting quote from Jeff. He said, We did not have any of the attitude we had when we did the first All-Stars. We did that first All-Star season. There was so much entitlement from some of these people who had been big rock stars because of being on the first Survivor. People like Sue Hawk, Richard Hatch, and those guys. It was tough. There was a lot of attitude. This group... They were great. They were fun. (laughs) They enjoyed the chance to come back. We took a lot of time in picking 10 people we thought would complement each other. That might be because they were all in the same starting tribe. We didn't just pick the 10 most physical or anything like that. We wanted game players. We wanted second chancers. We wanted favorites the audience would love. We wanted a really good combination. And again, I just think it's really interesting comparing that to what he said right at the end of All-Stars, where it seems like over the course of eight seasons, he really did an about-face in that he's like, well, these people aren't as big celebrities, so I'll have a better time being able to manage these personalities. I'm reading between the lines there. So basically, the first time we cast a bunch of real All-Stars, and it was a big deal because they were a big deal. The second time around, we learned if we cast people who are only like second-tier All-Stars, they're just happy to be there. 
So basically, he's backing up my belief that a lot of these people in this cast weren't really all stars. But it does also like, and it does. I was thinking about this today. Like this season, what it ends up doing for me is kind of rethinking an all star season and what's going to make a good all star season because. Um, you know, we talk about how bad at All-Stars it is to see all these top-tier, like, awesome Survivor contestants who just take the fall one by one by one by one by padding an All-Star cast with people who have something to prove. If they end up growing and you see something out of them, that's more exciting for the audience and less disappointing than if you have all, you know, top-tier Survivors in there. So I think this this season obviously changes the way that All-Star seasons will be cast from here on out. Well, should we, yeah. can we talk about the casting, though? Because I don't know, Mario. I feel like the majority of this favorite cast, again, if you could only pick 10 people, I feel like they actually got a majority of it right. Kara Moen is going to be the much more egregious choice in returning players. But even looking at, obviously, there are a few glaring exceptions that might enrage Paul specifically but I mean you look at like the five guys that they picked and I feel like that's a really strong lineup in terms of characters okay yeah that's something I wanted to do anyway so yeah let's go down the favorites list and let's say <laughs> let's say we're do you think they were really legitimate all-stars and we're gonna say at that time yeah at that time I mean and that that's 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 how you have to do it because there are people that I think okay you know what let's let's get into it all right <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. All right. Well, I mean, well, I guess so. Let's let's start with the guys, and we'll work our way back to the girls. Yeah. Uh, and I guess we can start. We can go chronologically here. So I guess we better start with our first boot and arguably the biggest character of the first episode, Johnny Fairplay. Was even though he played, this is nine seasons now after the fact. Is Johnny Fairplay still considered a top tier all star at this point? I yes. think without question. Yes. Yeah. And that, I, he was the biggest get in this cast. Even had they got Tom Westman in this cast, I still, still think Fairplay would have been a bigger get. God, you and the Tom Westman thing. Jesus. All right. <laughs> but yeah, Fairplay was amazing. He was great. And it's ama- It's incredible he got on this cast because Fair because uh, Probst hates him so much. Yeah, and it's interesting, yeah, again, he- going back to his quote about how he's like, oh, nobody treated me like an asshole. I think that might have been an outright spoiler that Johnny Fairplay was not going to go far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, people can say whatever they want about fair play quitting or whatever at the end of episode one. We're going to get into that. But he was an amazing get. It was it was great that they got him. Yeah. All right, so let's skip all the way to season 13 then. Let's start with Ozzy. Yeah, it's tough to argue yeah, that he wasn't like a top tier character. He was he was a big deal at that time. Yep. Jonathan Penner. I love Penner, but you could have replaced him with someone else and I could have seen the justification. Like, I don't think he was a top tier all-star, but I think he's a fine second level all-star so this is where recency bias comes in though because i feel like again though we not might not be as big of a fan of cook islands in retrospect we can't not repeat the fact that it was a giant season as received by the fandom in terms of storytelling and so penner's one of the biggest characters coming out of that i do agree that looking back on survivor history there might be people that could take his place but coming from such a recent season and being one of the biggest characters from that season Granted, does it fall into the quote-unquote favorite category, considering that everyone on the season and some people at home hated his guts? I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like as an all-star person, I would personally put him in the top tier at the time. Yeah, I could. He, I see him as basically as Boston Rob in the original All-Stars. Like, he's not my first pick, but, you know, he's a good narrator, narrator he's a good character, he's interesting no matter what scene he's in. Okay, I could see him being in there. Like, it. I don't kick and scream and, and throw a fit when I see him in the cast list. I will. Do, do you think, 
I will. Ref- okay. I will. I'm just going to reserve judgment really quickly on Penner until we get through the end of the mail list. Paul, anything else about Penner? I was. I was going to say I'm more on, in the Mike camp on this. That I think you walk away from Cook Islands. The number one male you're going to bring back is Ozzy. And number two would be Jonathan. Wait a minute, over you will? Or are we saying I no think, winners? If we're well, saying no I mean, winners, then yeah. Yeah. But Ewell was like in People Magazine. He was like the sexiest man of the year finalist. He was like a big deal even outside Survivor. So right, I can't. But, but Jonathan also brings the controversy with the two, which kind of lunges him up that he was a huge part of the season with the mutiny and, um, you know, that he has that little villain factor to him. I, I thought he was, even at the time, I think was more likely to come back than Ewell would have been. Yeah. I'm not really com- I'm not really comfortable saying anything bad about Penner, so I'm fine with him then. So let's move on to another what I would argue undisputable pick, Yao Man. Hi there, listeners. Mike Bloom here. You know, we had a lot of fun two seasons back with our coverage of Survivor Fiji, and I know our editor had a lot of fun in particular with a specific soundbite. Well, I'm here to let you know that sometimes there can be too much of a good thing. So moving forward, we will no longer be playing that clip whenever Yao Man's name is mentioned. For those of you who happen to be craving it, for the first and only time this podcast, here it is. I found the lemon tree. Delightful. And now let's rejoin the Survivor Historians, already in progress. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The, the last two are going to be the easiest slam dunks on this on this board. Yeah, yeah, yeah Yao Man and James were huge fan favorites. Yeah, so that's again why I say that maybe you might argue with the exception of Penner. I feel like this male lineup in particular was, if you had to cut some chaff out and say pick five strong All-Stars contenders from season 7 through 15, I feel like they did a pretty good job in that regard. Well, I think they did too. And, and the reason why I was just going to reserve judgment is just for that fact. I feel like the four not Penner... So fair play, Yao Man, James, and Ozzy, I feel are almost slam dunks to get in there. And I guess Johnny Fairplay isn't so much a, a slam dunk in the, in the sense that, like, yeah, if you can get him, yes, absolutely. I feel like he's a tough get to get, but they got him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, hey, bonus. But I think that, you know, you look at, at someone, I mean, I guess, I guess for as much as Mario, it, me and Mario differ on him so much, I feel like if Tom Westman is wanting to go back on. I feel like Tom Westman replaces Penner in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian would be interesting. I don't know if I could sit here and make the argument that Ian's bigger than Penner. It mm-hmm. would have been interesting, I suppose. But I think what I, I, I think that I, I think I'm more in the Mario camp, I guess, than the Mike camp, but I'm sort of in both your camps. I feel like P- Penner is a very close get. So like if he's not fifth, he's like seventh. Yeah. You know, on, on your list, and, and, and if he, and if someone was like, you know, if Mark Burnett is, if I'm going over this list with Mark Burnett and I've got, you know, executive powers, and I'm like, I don't know, I think there's, you know, a couple people in, in front of Penner, and he says, no, you know what, I want Penner in that fifth slot, I would just kind of go, okay, you know what, okay, that's 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 good. So I'm not, I don't really hate the pick or think the pick is bad. It's just, you know, could you could you make an argument for someone else instead of Penner? I think you probably can. Yet, that being said, Penner's a fantastic pick. Yeah. The guys that jump out at me, like I think of Terry, Ian, Westman, yeah. uh, Todd from China. Shane. If you're going to. Yeah, Shane. Shane. I, mean, I mean, these are all big characters. But again, Penner, like Jay said, is maybe the seventh out of your five picks. He's kind of right behind the top guys. So, yeah, it's not the worst pick in the world. There were worse picks 
on the female I, side, I'll say that. I think what I think what they also have to keep in mind here is I remember thinking going into the season was okay. I was thinking okay, they're going to bring back Tom, they're going to bring back Ozzy, they're going to bring back Terry, these huge three challenge beasts. And I was thinking, well, what are they going to do if they have all three of them and you have two tribes? So yeah. I think part of it is is realizing that you can't put more than just one of those three huge dominating challenge beasts on this tribe if they're going to go up against a bunch of a bunch of fans. That is an excellent point. I was just thinking that too. You can't have like Terry and James in there because they're stronger than everybody. Yeah, or well, yeah, in there too. You, you can also make yeah. an argument, and I'm sure we'll talk about it with the format that the fans were probably screwed to begin with in concept alone. But you have to make things at least a little bit fairer by having you know Jason and and Joel to balance it out. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll definitely get into the fans tribe and all this other another stuff. Uh, don't worry, viewers. We are we're settled in for a long winter's nap here for this podcast. But. Um, uh, I, yeah, that that's the thing. And, and the thing is, we always have to remember there's uncertainty here. Like, I know that people are listening to this podcast. We sort of look back on this era and we look back on everything with very nice, fond knowledge of what sort of what what has happened and transpired since Survivor Micronesia. But w- at the time, we all just figured, OK, it's the 16th season. There's going to be an All-Stars, too. So we're going to get like all the All-Stars from the last seasons. And then they introduced this. And, you know, we don't know, like, are they going to do another all all star season and season uh, 24? You know, we, we don't we, we just don't know. Like, we don't know anything like, OK, Survivor has hinted they did an all all star season in season eight. And then in uh, season 11 for Guatemala, they brought back the two losers from Oolong from Survivor. 10. So, like, they've shown that they're willing to bring people back. But we don't know the frequency that they're going to do this. We don't know anything, right? And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, we can talk about how, the, like, you know, Johnny Fairplay comes back for Survivor Micronesia, v- gets off first, and he's done because they hate him and they're never really going to want to bring him back. And it's sitting there going like, geez, they did four seasons later, they do Survivor Heroes versus Villains, and you have John Dalton, who's, like, the arguably the biggest villain in Survivor history. And he sort of they used him already in Micronesia and they weren't going to bring him back because he's fair play. And so it's like, oh, what a waste. And so like there's that going in there. But we don't know. We don't know any of this. So I think that this list gets really scrutinized because instead of having 18 to 20 survivors come back, it's 10, which makes the spots a lot smaller. And then you don't you just we just didn't know what was going to happen in the future. There's one other name I have to throw out here just because that's what I do. If Jeff Probst did not hate Chris Doherty so much, he would have been a fantastic fifth. I thought you were going to say Gabriel. No, not Gabriel. And we're past him. That's old times. But yeah, Chris. They got, they, they got fair play, so I feel like the pre-All-Stars <laughs> well is open at this point. You're talking about the good and evil versions of Gabriel, the little blonde dude. Yeah, no, but Doherty. Doherty would have been a fantastic choice, and I know for a fact he was never even called once. Like, well, they didn't want to even want to bother with him. Well, I guess speaking of Chris's season, let's move into our talk about the female cast a little bit and talk about, right off the bat, let's talk about Eliza and Amy. Do you guys think <laughs> that they were on the top-tier All-Stars roster at that point? Amy, yes. I Yeah, I personally think Amy was. I don't know if everybody would have considered her a top-tier All-Star. I loved her inclusion here. I think Amy was true, and for sure, you walk away from Vanuatu, and I think Amy, for, especially in... You know, Survivor, where people talk about all the time, it's hard to get good female all-stars. There aren't as many out there. There aren't as many who get this huge edit and make such a big splash. But Amy definitely did that in season nine. Yeah, and I would. Yeah, the only my only qualm with Amy is that it was so far before sixteen. It was our seven seasons already back, so her legacy was already kind of forgotten a little bit by then. But again, I I, love the Amy pick, but I, I can see why people might not have loved it at the time. 
And also, I mean, you would say that when we talked about this in our Vanuatu coverage, that she filled an interesting role in that she was, you know, a villainess that we really had not seen since Jerry Manthe. But after that, we're going to get, you know, Sari is a little evil, and we're going to get the Raros in the form of Parvati. And so Courtney, you could argue, might be a villainess as well. So people came after Amy. Eliza, I might put in the same category as you guys put Penner of like if yeah. you name like the top few people from that season, Eliza might be like number three or four. Amy's definitely the strategist and Eliza's more of the character. But again, I felt like she stuck out more to be picked from that season. Again, the question is like with Amy, it was seven seasons, three and a half years after the fact. Was the uh, was the five minutes, fifteen minutes of fame of Eliza gone at that point? I would argue I don't think she ever had 15 minutes of fame. I don't think she was ever really a big fan favorite. I no, think I if I think if Vanuatu had aired in China or, you know, in um in Fiji that it would be for sure she's on the show. Like no question that she, she comes back. I mean, it's 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 an interesting sort of notion because Survivor usually because the way Survivor is edited, it tends to have more male stars stick out than female stars. We talked about that in the first All-Stars, about how, you know, a bunch of the male categories were pretty locked in, and they had some wiggle room with some of the female characters. And, you know, Survivor continues to not develop a lot of female characters very complexly on television, but they had a chance to do so in Vanuatu, which was, you know, the, the men versus women season. So to have multiple women representatives from Vanuatu does not shock me. Uh, and to tell you the truth, I would put Eliza, if I, if I were bringing women back from Survivor Vanuatu, Eliza's third on my list. Like, I'd put her ahead of Leanne. Um, yeah. And I'd put her ahead of, of Julie. Oh, ahead of Leanne, okay. Yeah, too, Scout or Twyla? Twyla. Twyla, yeah. First, I thought you were going to put Leanne. I understand why they why Twyla isn't going to be brought back. Like I understand that fact, but I guess if you're going from a character standpoint, I would say out of that season, you go Amy, Twyla, Eliza. I understand why they didn't go with Twyla and they just skipped to Eliza, but that's how I would rate that. Yeah. Eliza's an interesting one because... Like I, she just jumps out as me as not really ever have been having been a fan favorite, and she wasn't really like an all star. But I have a hard time picking other females from that era who would have been a better pick, because like you said, they weren't really cranking out great female characters at that point. Not that not that there weren't great female players or characters at the time. The show just historically is not good with their female characters. They don't highlight them. So, like, who would they have picked instead? Jen. I mean. God bless Jen. She was the nicest person in the world, but she was never a fan favorite either. No, I think what Jen would be the pick for is more representative of what she did outside of the show than in the show. Yeah, and that's my argument. That's what I'm going into is that a lot of people, this is a a historic thing that people might not know. Eliza was one of the few Survivor alumni who was kind of interacting with the fans at the time. Um, at the website I worked at, Survivor Central, I used to work with Mertz Jaffer, and then it it merged into a website called Inside Pulse. And Mertz and Eliza used to do a weekly recap column, or, or it was like a precursor to a podcast, just their recap of the episodes together. And she was one of the first survivors who was doing that. It was like a precursor to Rob Has a Podcast. So Eliza was very well known among the fans. Um, on the internet and stuff, because she would interact with them. She'd write weekly columns. So I have to think that was probably one of the reasons she got on there. Because my yeah, my argument is always, I just don't think from the episode she was that big a deal. But there were outside 
factors with her that didn't exist with other people. Now you, you make a good point about that. And I do think um, I am probably in the J camp too, about her being two, two or three there after Twilight. But now that you say that that's so true. I remember even back in the day, Rob had his, um, his show, the fishbowl. And I remember they had profiles of different survivor contestants on there. This is pretty freshly after Vanuatu and Eliza had a page on there. And I remember it said something about your something about your favorite show or, or something about that. And she said, or I can't remember. It was in a way where she, it was not steered in this direction. She had answered the question as to be on all stars too. Like whatever was happening, she wanted to be on all stars too. And like the discussion of all stars too had not really even happened that much at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that it, you, you fast forward away, way later on into, um, you know, past survivor three and you have someone like Kelly Wentworth that somehow gets on the show based on just pretty much wishing it and interacting with the fans and everyone make it happen. I think that that, that might've been a part of Eliza getting on the show. I think you might be right there. Yeah. And I mean, she's also going to probably pale in comparison with the latter two we're probably going to talk about, but first we can probably glide over Suri, who's another <laughs> slam dunk. I would feel definitely the, the, the best female to have in this category. Yeah. Yeah. Suri is interesting. Not only was she a big character and a great player, but there's no one else who really fits her archetype, like the couch potato who learned the game and was still really good, even though she like can't do challenges. I mean, kind of like Sandra in a way, but not the same personality whatsoever. So, yeah, Suri was interesting because there's no one else who could have really replaced her. Yeah, that's the easiest pick on the female list. Well, then yeah. let's get to two that might be a little more contentious, and we can probably separate them out. But <laughs> at the time, Good thing they don't make it far. Good thing they don't yep, make it Yep, exactly. Far. It's not like they're the final two or anything, or <laughs> that they're responsible firsthand for getting rid of some of our favorite players in the first few episodes here. But Parvati and Amanda were the two that I'd say across the board everyone was really scratching their head about. Even though we had just finished Amanda's season when this cast list came out, people were still questioning why she was there. So what do you guys think about Parvati and Amanda's inclusion in a historical context? I will say I wasn't writing much about Survivor at the time. I was kind of, I was like Paul. I was kind of like, yeah, this is ridiculous. I don't want to be involved in Survivor anymore. So I wasn't doing much around this time. And I remember I I went on Survivor Sucks and made a big rant right after this cast list was announced and Amanda, she was the focus of all my rage. And, and it's funny because to this day, I don't know why poverty wasn't as well. (laughs) It was just Amanda. For some reason I was incensed that Amanda was there. Like, why is this girl? I don't even remember from last season an all-star all of a sudden. Because so Amanda was the one, yeah, she was the one that got my rage, but in retrospect, perhaps Parvati was even more of a WTF Because I, I, would, I would make the argument that Amanda is a more justifiable choice than Parvati, and I feel yeah. like it's not even close. Yeah. No, it, I mean, I think you're right. I don't know why at the time, the Amanda thing just bothered me. Why is she an all-star? There are so many more interesting characters they could have picked than her. Paul? Right. I um the way I always like looked at this, and I don't know how much of this is actually true or or whatever, is I always just viewed them as the second pick to who they want to fill that slot. They wanted Courtney Yates, she said no. They picked other female from China, Amanda, boom. They wanted Candace from Cook Islands, she couldn't do it. they the backup was Parvati for that slot. Yeah, it's just like it's just like on the original All Stars, they couldn't get Elizabeth or Colleen, so apparently they picked Amber. Amber and Jenna probably maybe for uh, Yeah, I'm you know, it's funny. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Cook Islands cast list right now because I'm trying to figure out, oh, who else? Becky. Is going to, Becky. But well, that's that's <laughs> that's the thing with this Cook Islands thing that that's so funny is that you know we it's this 
season that people really look back on fondly. I know that a lot of us didn't, and you know, we talked about it on the Kyle's podcast and all that sort of stuff. Or I guess if you look at it in the different way, uh, that's how, how it goes. But you look at the characters that that sort of stand out at you. It was they developed the male characters. It was Yule and Ozzy, uh, and Jonathan Penner there, and they even had you know Adam being weird bro villain and stuff like that. It was it was mainly just a, a sort of male dominated show more than anything else because you look at some of the the women that went far they have becky and sundra and i mean i wouldn't pick either of them to come back because of it of it is so i guess you know your your top woman to bring back i guess is candace who did the mutiny mm-hmm. and she couldn't do it so then they're like oh yeah what about the one the the femme fatale one which is something that jeff probes has just wanted to push and, forever right well, so i and, guess that's that's how it goes and i think if maybe they were really intrigued by the the penner having a kind of a rival. He obviously had that with Candace and you, you fill in Parvati in that slot. And she, you know, she fills a lot of the same boxes there that uh, female from cook islands rivalry with penner, just plug her right in and, and we're good. And I Who hate doesn't and have I, a rivalry I hate, with penner. And I hate that I though, her. because again, in all stars, they separated Amber and Jerry. They separated the big three from Africa because the producer said, let's make sure that these players don't come in with necessarily inherent advantages. They're playing on the same tribe with people that they played with previously. And obviously there were a couple of exceptions that they had to make, you know, putting Jenna and Ethan on the same tribe and they had previously dated. But here, because they're on the same tribe, you're essentially saying, and we're going to see this later on with Francesca and Philip and Survivor Caramoan as well, you find producers possibly purposely casting people to put on the same tribe to get a rise out of them to begin with and granted the all-star the whole all-stars motif goes against the 16 players picked from different walks of life but i don't necessarily like this idea of like oh yeah we're casting to get drama out of these people because we know they don't like each other so we're going to put them on the same tribe yeah no i agree with that it is interesting how many came with pre-baggage yeah and i'm going to talk about this heavily in episode one so i don't want to touch on it now um, I mean, he, here's he, here's I'm not even trying to counter this argument because I think that what we're going for on this female list is I think Amy and Saria are are definites. I think you could make the case for Amanda, even though you know Mario raged about it and all that sort <laughs> of stuff. At least she and and at least she has second plays. Like, at least like, okay, we had a finalist third. here. Like right, you have well, that. Third. It, it's 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 a really big difference. She, Mike, she, got, she got to she got to speak at the final tribal council, unfortunately. <laughs> Mike, I didn't expect oh. I'd get so contentious with you this early on. I know we're on the same side here. It is not too here. late to cut you out. I brought you into this podcast. I can take you out. <laughs> it's a temp fight. Oh, it's like Paul just went mama bear. It was fantastic. Um, but I feel like I feel like you can make a, a a very strong case for somebody other than Parvati and somebody other than Eliza. And honestly, I feel like you can make a case for lots of people over Parvati, and yet Parvati gets on the show, and Parvati wins! So, you know, <laughs> hey! Uh, and, I do uh, have to say, as bad as Survivor is at not developing good female characters, they got really unlucky in this stretch of uh, seasons. Like, Stephanie is an obvious one for this cast list, but they used her in Guatemala, and yeah. she completely fizzled out right. then you have huge fan favorite denise just the previous season and then we had the whole scandal where she lied about being losing her job as a lunch lady i mean she was a big fan favorite at the time so yeah. i'm just saying i think survivor got kind of unlucky here and then you throw into the fact that probes just inexplicably hates guatemala he does not like it and you had people in there like danny who you know i don't really ever want to see again but she was a winner 
You have Amy O'Hara, who would have been a fun character at any point. I mean, there were some interesting females they could have done, and it just didn't work out the way it uh, could have worked out. And then you factor in, you know, the network executive saying, well, we want to see these young females in bikinis. So obviously Parvati is going to get on there over like Amy from Guatemala. So it's just I can just I can just see a, a combination of factors working against the cast list here. I don't know though if we get Denise on the season instead of Parvati, we're going to get the same result with a showmance with James either way. <laughs> yes, I guess I guess that's my question that we need to to go here. If not Parvati, then who? And we have to take into account, as you guys said, like okay, well, duh, Courtney or something like that. But Courtney said no. Yeah. Right. And and Stephanie, I mean, I don't even know if they asked Stephanie, but, you know, let's say, A, Stephanie said no, but B, Stephanie has already been brought back. So do you bring her back a third time in mm-hmm. five seasons or w- whatever we're going for? And I think the answer is you probably can't, you know, so like, you know, Stephanie and Bobby John for the male side, even though Bobby John's always a fun person to bring back, you brought them back. So yeah. we're going to say no, even though they're going to bring Stephanie back literally four seasons later. I get it. I get it. But. At least yeah, it was I mean, four I, seasons later, not not two seasons later, or three seasons later in back-to-back seasons. I mean, there's always someone like Courtney Merritt in, in Panama who wasn't really a fan favorite, but if you're casting for drama, you could do a lot worse than her. At least she was interesting. And I know that, that there was a joke made about it before, but considering Daniel DiLorenzo's casting in Heroes vs. Villains, I could see a bit of a reasoning to bring her back for fans vs. I don't see why I don't see why she's any less on this list than Parvati would have been. I agree. Yeah, yeah, they're the same yeah, thing. The basically. Same level. I I always was thinking for that last spot. I was thinking either D- Danielle, Katie Gallagher, or um, um, Dan or what did I say? Danielle. I don't think I was thinking Parvati. I was thinking Danielle or Katie Gallagher. Mm-hmm. Well, it'll be interesting because would that if we bring back Katie, would that be the counter to the we can't bring back Terry and James, we can't bring back Sari and Katie in the same season? Right, that will just right, tank right. the favorites. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. I think at the end of the day, it really just comes down to they want young girls in bikinis over anything else. They're going to put them on there, and again, this is we're going to get into this narrative where Parvati is the some people argue the greatest single survivor character and player in history, and that was definitely not the case at the time. That is something that we're going to have to start contending with here is because this is for better or for worse. This is this is Parvati's uh, this isn't even Parvati's season, but this is she wins this season. She's certainly going to be there a lot. And she, you know, I, I feel like when people talk and I think we talked about it in Cook Islands where, you know, everyone talks about Parvati. Parvati is, you know, when people talk about greatest survivor characters of all time, a lot of times people will include Parvati kind of in that first tier of characters. Uh, for, for Agree with it or not, she's listed amongst those things. And it's like, really, the body of work there, even though she's been on three seasons, you sort of have to throw out Cook Islands because she was just a non-factor in all ways on Cook Islands. So it starts with Micronesia, and it will continue on with uh, Heroes versus Villains. But I mean, this is basically the start of Parvati as we have come to know her. So, you know, we have to take that into account. And so when we're sitting here going like, I don't know if you put Parvati on the show and then there's probably people that are that are later fans of the show going that are that are big Parvati fans going, wait, what do you mean? No, you have to remember that Cook Island. She was a complete non-factor and not only a non-factor, you know, I don't think that anyone goes away from Cook Island going, God, remember Parvati? She was fantastic. Like very few people were thinking that. Remember that hot tub scene? Hell yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. So like, you know, this it's it's an interesting inclusion, but here we go. We have this fact 
where Rob and Amber are are sort of the the couple du jour and and the the couple they they were Survivor All Stars and yet at the same time Rob was a slightly questionable choice to bring back on Survivor All Stars and Amber was the biggest head scratcher of them all and here we have Parvati being the biggest I would I would argue Parvati is probably the biggest head scratcher of the ten yeah. people they brought back yeah and and look what came of it <laughs> yeah it's just hilarious how history repeats itself well I think it's also like I wouldn't say basic psychology but I guess it makes sense that hey, if you have all these, granted, again, you have 10 players who have never played the game before, so that's another factor to deal with. But if you have people gunning for each other, they're going to go for people like you'll see in Yao Man's boot, that they reason why they, the main reason why they got rid of him is because Sari thought, oh, he's going to find an idol. This is where people's past kind of come back to haunt them. Probably had no past. The only past she probably had to ruminate on was the STD she probably got in some sort of months before coming on that might have come Jeez. back to haunt her, but they never ended oh. up doing so. Wow, did did a tree just grow in this podcast? Because all of a sudden I feel shade. <laughs> I was gonna say, you know, I I don't really, I'm not really the biggest Parvati fan, and my wife is even less of a Parvati fan. She will not sit in the room and watch any episode or season that Parvati's on because she can't stand the way she talks. So, like, I'm not really the big Parvati fan. But in Parvati's defense, the first episode is all about, well, she's a threat. We got to get rid of her before she flirts with people. So it's a little different than Amber in this situation. She is seen as a little more of a threat in the first episode. And we'll get, we'll to, get to it. We'll get, yeah, we'll get to it in the first few episodes. But I'll say I was actually genuinely a little surprised in these first few episodes how, I would say, I'll use the term astute, how astute Parvati is at this game. Granted, we can talk about if Johnny Fairplay doesn't quit and arguably he sides with the foursome and she goes, where does Survivor history go from there? But, you know, when she survives past episode one, she does a pretty good job. You know, there's a reason why in episode three, Suri says, well, there's Jonathan's alliance and there's Parvati's alliance. It's not Ozzy's alliance. It's not Amanda's alliance. It's Parvati's alliance. So even though, again, people were really scratching their heads coming in, I think in these first few episodes, at least, she establishes herself as someone who might be a force to be reckoned with. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But it, same thing with Robin Amber, right? Like, head scratchers going in, but right away they form an alliance and seem to be people to be reckoned with. Yeah. And and you could make the argument that Parvati even makes a bigger impact uh, in these seasons, as Mike is mentioning. So, you know, again, history sort of repeating itself, sort of, kind of. And I think the other thing is, yes, in half-assed way. And I think that the other thing that is interesting in history repeating itself is, I remember we spent a lot of time in Survivor All-Stars talking about who, you know, did we like the list of All-Stars, would we have replaced people? And I think we sort of were like, maybe one, maybe two, I guess, maybe. And here we are at Survivor Micronesia. Now, granted, the list is smaller with just 10, but I think we've basically come to the conclusion that, for the most part, this is a pretty decent list of people to bring back. Man, we're going to spend like a whole hour before we even get to the first episode, but I still have a couple more things I wanted I to bring you, up here. I told you, dude. I told <laughs> you. The, the, the first one in these All-Star episodes, you really, like, they're front-loaded. So I apologize, folks. We're, <laughs> we're going to be talking a long time, and we're not going to get to too many episodes this time. But I know that, you know, you're paying us to do this. And by paying us, I mean you're not, but, and we're just sitting here <laughs> talking. But but it's it's cool. We like it. It's fantastic. Okay, i got to bring this up, and maybe Paul will know this. There's Oh, my there, God. Well, there's been a rumor over the years that... Amanda went into Micronesia thinking that she won because a lot of the spoilers on China said that she won. 
And then, so I've never been 100% sure if Amanda thought that she won going into this, if she knew she didn't win. But I've heard the rumors that Eliza was basically undercutting Amanda every chance she got, saying, oh, you know, I read the spoilers, Amanda won China, we can't let her win again, she's a former winner. So I heard that Eliza was doing that a lot the first couple episodes. Have you heard about that? Um, No, I actually didn't hear that part about the Eliza part. What I know is what it was said after the fact, which I don't know how much of that has cha- would change after the season. I remember Amanda saying at some point that no one else in the season was a winner, so she thought that she didn't win for that reason. And the second reason being, or she mentioned about how at the, um, what was it, something? Oh, that at the China finale sitting there, she had no, she knew she didn't win sitting there. And Micronesia, Micronesia had, had obviously already been filmed, but she wasn't even nervous going to the China finale because she knew she hadn't won that one. She thought maybe she had won Micronesia. And the, okay, the, but let's let's just reiterate for our listeners: all the China, all the China spoilers said that Amanda was going to win. Do we remember though when the China spoiler, specifically the Amanda spoiler, came out? Because let's also remember. We'll obviously laugh a bit later on with the introduction of Amanda Q golf claps, but I think that the fans had all and the favorites subsequently had only seen what like four episodes of Survivor China before going out. So again, yeah. I don't know when these spoilers popped up, but I guess if they popped up in ep- around the time of episodes one through three, that would make sense. But otherwise, they wouldn't know about the spoilers if they popped up after they had left. I think I think Aaron had just gone home. I was watching some of the the preseason footage. Um, and Mikey B references something about calling his mom uh, to talk about the episode and going, oh, my God, they screwed over Aaron. So that I think that the first five episodes were out. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the filming dates, Survivor China, Survivor China went from like late June to early August in 2007. That's when the survivors were playing the game and it gets released in late September. And basically uh filming for Micronesia started in late October. So there was probably about four or five episodes that came out for from Survivor China. And I, I can't stress this enough. I mean, it, it was tough. Both both Amanda and James had about a month turnaround or so. Maybe, I guess, two months because it's late. But, you know, you figure with travel and uh, things and all that sort of stuff. They've had basically a month in between seasons to go back out and do it again and i know rupert did it for for lounge and all stars i get that it's not a unique thing but i can't stress it enough just for amanda's sake in the sense that they went out there they did survivor china they came back they she was called back she did survivor micronesia survivor micronesia or films they were out there on the island until basically the beginning of december like december 5th or 6th and the finale for Survivor China that you saw her lose to Todd on is literally like 10 days after she comes back from Micronesia. So she's literally, she has not heard the results of Survivor China. She's done a complete other season in which she took place in a final tribal council. So, you know, tough, tough, tough road for Amanda. Yeah, that's a good point. I never thought about that. Rough Christmas that year for Amanda. Yeah, I yeah. mean, she played Survivor pretty much for 60 days straight. <laughs> she played Survivor for 60 days straight, and I think that you... I mean, would you argue this? I mean, would you argue that she had a better chance to win China than Micronesia? No, I wouldn't, because I think Parvati was a weaker opponent. Ugh, I mean, it's tough, you know? I, th- I, I think you was... could argue... Yeah, you could argue she could have won both seasons. Yeah, she could have won both. I'm not. I'm not trying to talk about gameplay and blah, 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 but... You know, do you think like, you know, Amanda, she played China and then you don't have a whole ton of time to think about it, right? Like you've got it and then you got a month and then she had to go out and play a whole other game in which she went to a final travel council. 
And then she's got to go home and do the China thing. And she thought, if I'm winning one, which one did she think maybe she won? Do you think she was in her head? She was like, I'm going to I'm going to win Micronesia or I'm going to win China or I'm going to win neither. Well, I mean, I forget if I talked about this in the China podcast, but we're definitely going to get into Amanda's game over this countless number of hours covering this season. Amanda definitely plays the flashier game here. I do feel like China might have been the better game in that she probably was more solid with her alliance and she had a better chance of getting to the end. Let's remember that this is the season where Amanda has to save herself with an immunity idol. But I feel like if she's going to the final tribal council and we're going to talk about how, again, this season has so much historical context, one of them is, in a way... We typify Modern Survivor with the make big moves mantra. This is really one of the first seasons to really bring that into prominence. If we're going by said mantra, Amanda justifies that very well in that we're going to see her cut her boy toy slash closest ally or get blindsided and have her allies do it. We're going to see her use an idol to get somebody out. We're going to have her, you know, help guilt Eric into giving up the immunity necklace. Maybe, again, it's because of the people and the events that are happening, but it seems that Amanda is playing the much louder game this time. You know, Paul, I just realized Amanda's a pretty good player. Thank you, Mario. Can we get that on? Can we get that um, little sound bite of Mario and just play that one a bunch of times in this podcast? <laughs> well, I think, anytime, I, I, but I think we even talked about sh- that. I think we talked about that in the beginning of our China podcast, though, did we not? We said that, like, Amanda is the type of person who no matter what, would do at least pretty well on her her season. I mean, she always makes the merge in all three seasons that she plays because she's athletic enough, she's likable enough, she's strategic enough, she's not that threatening on paper. So I feel like she sort of checks all the boxes of, like, you know, a mid-card female that would go far, if not all the way to the end, due to extenuating circumstances. Yeah. Plus, I like lowering Paul's defenses so I can hurt him worse later. I want that soundbite ready to go anytime he starts trashing her. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. What other topics do we have here? When did the fans know this was going to be fans versus favorites? Do you remember that? Like, at what point was it revealed, oh, it's going to be this new format with new players against All-Stars? Was that uh, My memory of that is it was relatively right around the time of the premiere. We didn't know that for a long time, if I recall. Did they not? Did they not lampshade it at the China reunion? I forget. Well, they I don't well think they, 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 did. they they preview it at the China yeah. reunion. But again, if we're looking at like the chronology of the All Stars two spoilers, I found I feel like only I feel like tracking at the time. I feel like people were a little shocked to find out it was fans versus favorites. And then like shortly after the China finale, we then got the spoiled ten returnees. So maybe again, if we're going along with this idea of there were 20 and they decided to cut it down to 10 at the last moment. It might have honestly been a last-minute decision. Mm, Because we even see, remember, we even see the fans at the China finale. We get the clip of a Kathy going, I've seen every episode, and we we hear them all. Yeah. I I only brought up... Hold on. I I, I just want to justify, because I I, I don't even want to bring up uh, the R word so... uh, uh, Early oh in in our our things, not not that one, the Russell word. Just just in the, in the are we, sense are, of, are we going back to Stephanie again? <laughs> oh no, my no, god! No 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 no. Um, in the sense that Amanda is going to do something that Russell's going to do later, which is play two seasons back to back and go to finals in both. And so when they come when they come back, you know, because Russell did that for Samoa and for Heroes versus Villains. So when he's sitting there. At the Samoa finale, he has already participated in and been in a finals for Survivor Heroes versus Villains. And I swear to God, when you look at both uh, reveals, Russell looks 
really sad, like especially sad after Samoa because I feel like Russell thought he won Samoa, first of all. But second of all, I feel like he probably felt like he didn't win Heroes versus Villains. So like he's like, oh, and I didn't win this one too? Ah, oh, crap. You know what I mean? So so there was there's that. And I was just wondering if, if we could maybe pinpoint that in Amanda, but maybe not. And you can understand, again, I don't want to talk too much about the R word in any spectrum later on. But, I mean, remember that the Samoa one is going to be where Russell's the more desperate and actually offers Natalie White to buy the title of Soul Survivor yeah. from her. So <laughs> I guess you're right. It makes more sense in context that he knew he had lost. He Now we just realized he had lost both seasons. So this is really Russell at his most yep. desperate. I know some people might point at him in the Heroes vs. Villains finale of saying America should be able to get the vote as you know the, the lowest point he hits. But it's still pretty low for him to say in his first season – let alone, hey, let me buy the title from you. Yep. Anyway. Also, anyway. Also I, should, sorry, I, should point out, I should point out that Amanda has dead eyes, so it's much harder to read her eyes. <laughs> play the oh. clip. Play the clip. <laughs> That's nothing to do with her being a player, Paul. Completely well, I'm different sorry. subject. A little trigger happy here. Sorry. <laughs> okay, before we get into it, just uh, one word answer. Is Micronesia a good season, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Sort of. Yeah, I that, will say begrudging, yes. Well, that's and that's the thing, too, is that it's interesting looking at some Survivor fan communities nowadays. There are people who hate this season. And again, I'm not going to call it an amazing season, but I still like it well enough. I feel like there is some sort of, like, psychological thing going on here where, like, if something is overhyped in your point of view, you almost overcompensate and directly underhype it. So you have people saying, oh, Micronesia isn't the best season ever. It's the worst season ever. Uh, so you're sort of like trying to automatically go to the other end of the spectrum. But I don't think it's absolutely terrible. It's a very different season. And I think we'll talk about in this first group of episodes. I think they're good. I feel like once we get into the switch and the injuries and the quits and the idols and everything, when things start to go arguably a little wonky. Yeah, it was one of those things when Micronesia first aired, I'm like, oh, that was kind of a fun season. There was some neat stuff. And I was shocked that it was so universally praised as like the best season all of a sudden. I'm like, really? So it's it's never been one that I've hated. I don't love it, but I don't hate it. But it's funny. I've heard a lot of people say, well, the historians are going to talk about Micronesia. I can't wait to hear them rip it apart. And I'm like, well, we're not going to rip it apart. Like, no one really hates it. It's not like All-Stars. We don't come in with a grudge like All-Stars. It's a completely different animal than All-Stars. Getting getting back to what I said at the beginning of this podcast, it hooked me back in. I went in with all with the horrible mindset about it and how much I was not gonna like it. And by the end of it, I really, 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 really liked it. And to this I, day, it remains one of my favorite seasons. So I, I'll be the one sticking up for it the most. Uh, here's the thing, Paul. I feel like with you, with you and Survivor, like you had your moment of oh, I'm just gonna be a casual, and oh, I'm putting packing my buffs into a box and I'm putting them under the stairs. But why do I? Talk like, like that. Well, because you know this. This. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, 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 Paul, I didn't realize I'm, how much you sounded like Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> I'm. I'm Phil. Yeah, that's a, exactly what I was going for. Um, but like, I feel like in in those old film noir type things, I feel like you're just like the jilted lover sitting at the bar, and I feel like all Survivor had to do was literally just come up, you know, push a martini over towards you and go, "Baby, I'm sorry," and you're gonna be like, "Oh, I can't stay mad at you." You know what I mean? Like, like honestly, Paul, honestly. So Survivor slipped Paul a roofie. Wow, that but is it holds up too. I really think it holds up. I think there's, there's a, it's a strong pre-merge and a strong post-merge. Um, I'm, I'm very much into it, which we'll I, talk about once we actually talk about the, I, uh, yeah, the show. I, dis I well, here's the thing. I think that 
for as much as I've bashed it, and I know that I've bashed it quite a bit, I what I bash it for is more the concept of it, and not just the concept of it. The this is, I think I said it at, at the end of Survivor China podcasts, and I'm going to say it here. Survivor Micronesia is literally the birth of modern Survivor. Like there have been inklings and precursors before then. It's not like you know everything for modern Survivor only stems from Micronesia but what Micronesia does is you can sort of pinpoint this is the season where Survivor undergoes like a major format change and focuses and 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 things that that the show really liked to hit on previously sort of get thrown out the window and the show starts to really focus on certain aspects that carry on into what we see today and so I think that because of those things, and I'm annoyed by some of those things that happen, uh, especially the post-merge. When Paul says it's a, it's a strong post-merge, I agree and also disagree at the same time in the sense that the shows, this is still early in. I, I think that Survivor today has a major problem with um, just uh, the production value of it. And, and that's natural through time. Like They're just trying to produce these shows on the cheap, and that's what we need to keep the show going. And I, and I get that sort of thing. But Survivor Micronesia has got all of the elements of old Survivor. It is well executed. They use the, they use the, the locale well. They have a great uh, tribal council set. Like the, the shows are edited and crafted in a way it is well executed. And it, it is a well-executed season all the way through. And I will not complain about that. And, you know, the, the, the storylines you can follow and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and I agree with that, too. But starting with the post-merge, this is where we sort of get into this whole, oh, you know, you've got to blam, blam, blindside someone, use an idol, blah. And I know that idols are being used beforehand, but Survivor Micronesia, with the, with the fact that half the cast was basically dead meat to begin with, and they sort of tee them up sort of uh, after the post-merge, I feel like... You know, it was. It's basically just sort of, uh, uh, almost like the home run derby of 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 Survivor in that sense, where they're just sort of showcasing some flashiness more than anything else, and that's fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it, and I'm not even going to say it's all sizzle, no steak, or some sort of weird catchphrase like that. But I just feel like Micronesia really, in the post merge, starts to emphasize things. Uh, about the show, which is more along the lines of, you know, vote counts, uh, idle plays, idle blindsides, uh, those sorts of things that people really look for today. And, you know, today now we have people hunting for idols for large segments and, you know, figuring out all of this stuff. And uh, that just doesn't interest me as much. And I feel like the, the, the real genesis for that happens in Survivor Micronesia. One of the things I've been saying in the the lead up to recording this episode is that I I'm not the biggest fan of Micronesia, but even I will say it's probably one of the three or four most important seasons. Would you yeah. guys agree? Mm-hmm. With oh that? yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Not not only from a production standpoint, as Jay was just pointing out, but again, we can't emphasize enough. Jeff is going to bring it up at the finale. I wouldn't say this was the, the season that put Survivor back on the map, but you know, all the seasons leading up to it around these sort of post-All-Stars years are going to have maybe one or two moments that people are talking about at the water cooler. Something like you know the race divide in Cook Islands or the Dreams, the Owlman stuff in Fiji. But this is going to be, I feel like, one of the first seasons in a while where people are saying, again, especially in that post-merge, as much as you may disparage it, Jay, people are going to be saying like, wow, big moments keep happening oh, yeah. on this season. So it's yeah. definitely, I wouldn't say, you know, I guess we'll see firsthand that it brought someone back into the fold, albeit after a brief hiatus. But I would say that there were some people that were 
reinvigorated in Survivor after this. As much as us old-school diehards and character fans may love something like Survivor China, some people may have not, and so they're going to be drawn more so into the flashy strategy that comes with Survivor Micronesia and, and that, And that I 100% agree with. And so it, it's tough where, it, you know, I, I don't like Micronesia on a lot of conceptual levels, but the show is interesting. It is well-produced. It is well-executed. And in all of those senses, I just don't think you can disparage my Survivor Micronesia very much. And the importance and historical context of it is hugely important. And that's something that you have to take into consideration when you talk about Survivor Micronesia. Yeah. I get the sense that Jeff Probst believes this is the season where they finally got it right. Yeah. I believe Jeff Probst thinks this is like the new Borneo that we're going yeah. to see, aside from Boston Rob and Richard Hatch, we're going to see barely any pre-Micronesia contestants mm-hmm. really get referenced in Modern Survivor. This really seems to be, and you know, there's a lot of stories about when people are being brought on to Survivor seasons, they're given a couple of seasons to watch on DVD just to prep for it. Micronesia might top the list of like the most circulated season among Survivor players getting ready to go into the game. But yeah. I'll go one further. I feel like Survivor Micronesia is a season that someone should watch if they're going to go on the, on the season now. Like, mm-hmm. because there are so many lessons to take from it. And also the fact that since half this cast is dead meat, like, you, you know, you have, you have a reference for what to do and how things should go and how you can execute certain things. You know, because because there's 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 an era of, you know, like there literally is just only a handful of people that can that can win this game. And so you can just see sort of the machinations of how they go about such things. All right. Uh, we are. Wow. An hour and 20 minutes into it. We're almost ready for the first episode. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> no, I have a, I have an aside to make. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Hey, this is about my story. So Jay will love it. Oh, my God. Let's fast forward like 10 minutes, folks. No, you Are guys you will s- find this interesting. I swear to God. You're going to hold this up for your fan fiction. This one's actually Have you been in contact with Renee Seiler? I have not been in contact with Renee Seiler. I'm sorry. No, what I'm saying is I was not really writing about Survivor at the time, but I still kind of had a reputation at the time of the All-Star guy because I'd written these stories, which, you know, was kind of silly at the time, but they were literally blueprints for how an All-Star season was going to play out. So it was interesting that I, I mentioned back in All-Stars that before he went out to tape All-Stars, Rob Sesternino came to me and said, let's talk about All-Stars, how it's going to play out. And I kind of gave him some advice, and it worked out smashingly for him. He did not do particularly well. But it happened again with Micronesia in that Yao Man. Yao Man kind of contacted me behind the scenes. He's like, I hear you're the guy who knows all about All-Stars. You've written these things about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So I I talked to Yao Man really extensively before Micronesia, once he learned he was going to be cast. And he had bought my book, The Psychology of Survivor. He read all my stories. We talked endlessly about this stuff and basically i kept telling him over and over i said i've done these things i've played them out of my head i've written stories what happens is it's going to be one of these young unthreatening females find i said find the females in the cast who don't have any business being there who no one finds them dangerous at the start they're going to go really far just set yourself up as the number two be with them they're going to be there for the remainder of the season it's one of those things i told him this so many times and he didn't do it you watch the season. Had he gone in there and said, hey, Amanda, if he would have picked her out or Parvati, hey, let's be buddies. My name's Yao, man. I'm the nice, cool old guy who does the science. Like, he probably would have done really well. So it's one of those things that I gave Yao, man, all this great advice, and he, he, he went rogue on me and he decided not to do what we talked about. And so I will just say yeah, the, the short version of the story there is if you ever want to not do well on All-Stars, talk to me first before you go in and play the game. I was just you got a great say, track so... record. I know. <laughs> 
I was just going to say, so what we learned from this is that you shouldn't talk to people. Exactly. You're, yeah, you're, I'm you're, a horrible curse. You're the reverse King Midas. Everything you touch turns to shit in terms of Survivor players' games. <laughs> yes. If I were Catherine Hepburn, I'd be like, don't take my advice. <laughs> don't Paul. do it. For the yeah, love so of anyway, God, don't do it. That's my story with Yao Man and how I sabotage him. But in my defense, I still think I gave him fantastic advice he just didn't listen to. Don't align with Penner. That's not a good plan. That's a never a good plan. Anyway. Yes. All right. Let's go to episode one. I think we're all raring to go. We, we might finish almost two episodes on this podcast. Well, oh, that's, 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 a, that's a record we have to beat in terms of, remember, the first All-Stars podcast, we got to a whopping two episodes. So if we get to three, we, we're I, setting I, a new I think new we can do three. I, I think we can do this. Let's do this. <laughs> all right. Three, oh, yeah, I wasn't around then, so. Uh, yeah, this oh. is before your time. You were still a zygote yeah, this, back This then. is BP. So this is this 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 is I mean I know this is only half ass but this is like Paul's first real All Star season on Survivor Historians. This is his oh, virgin crazy. experience. Wow, I know crazy because we don't count Guatemala. That was just Stephanie and Bobby John coming. And back. Paul wasn't even there for that. I was never that either. So oh my lord, Paul! It only hurts the first time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here we go: fans versus favorites. We're going to start Micronesia, episode one, and right off the bat, should we laugh at the fact that most of the fans were not really fans of the show? I love I mean, saying, yeah. this is Survivor, the fans' favorite game, and like you could argue, all right, so let's point out, who do you think were really the fans? I think Eric, obviously, was the biggest fan out there. Uh, was Jason a fan? I mean, I think like you point to Kathy was a big fan, but like, do you think Mary's really a big fan of Survivor? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what she said. Hot- I love Survivor. Is that not enough for you? Alexis at one point calls it survival. <laughs> right, that's the name of the game. That's what it's called. I think yeah, when Mary, that's what those hot twenty-year-old how- women do. They they stay home every week and watch Survivor. How uh, how survival? accurate do we? How accurate do we think the? I know previously on Survivor kept a list at one point about recruits versus non-recruits. How accurate is that? Because I looked that up. It's pretty accurate because there's some really anal Survivor fans that know this stuff and write it all so, down. According to that, there were four um, people who actually applied and six recruits. Can you name the four people who applied? Oh, Papa Bear, Selectman. definitely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the sele- Selectman's got to be one, right? Yeah. Yes. What about Dan Foley? I'm sure he applied. <laughs> no. Um, let's see. Kathy, uh, Eric. Eric, yes. Kathy, Eric. Um, more. Did Chet. Ch- Chet has to apply. Yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't said, handpick Chet for being such a weak Chet guy. Chet is listed as a recruit. What? Okay. Um, would, Siska? Would, Did we get Siska? Siska was listed as a recruit. Uh, what okay, about, yeah, that's fine. Uh, Natalie Bolton. I feel like she'd be a rando fan. Listed as a recruit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mikey B? Listed as a recruit. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's see. Oh, God. Tracy? Does that mean, is Tracy, Tracy, uh, Tracy uh, F- applied? Okay. Yep. <laughs> this is the very difficult game of name all ten people on the fan side. Uh, okay, so so is the last one Joel? <laughs> yes, he went to an open casting call according to um Yeah, that doctor. makes sense. Yeah, so I'm sorry if we're shattering any of your illusions that are listening to this that these were actual ten super fans, but it yeah. was sadly not the case. Then it's interesting okay. for Alexis then, because if she hasn't watched any Survivor beforehand, maybe they were given Survivor Cook Islands to watch in, in anticipation of three of them coming on, but she has such a thirst for Ozzy in the beginnings of this game that I'm surprised she hadn't seen Survivor beforehand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I, I don't. I, I just defy anyone. And I mean, it was it was apparent at the time. It's not like I wrote articles or, or even had this podcast or, or, or a platform where people were listening to me. But it was very apparent, even from them rowing in and having their initial uh, uh, confessionals and things like that. You were like, you know, because he's like 10 of the biggest fans. And you're like, are they? It doesn't really <laughs> seem like they are. Yeah. And, and, yeah, and, yeah, as if there was much integrity in a fans versus favorite season to start with. This one pretty much shatters that right off the bat. You know, and I know I'm jumping slightly ahead because I know we've got to get to just the the delicious reveal of all of the <laughs> uh, survivors on on the beach and stuff like that. But you know, they do mention, and it's funny because you know you talk about like, okay, so it's fans versus favorites, and then it, once we get the twist, then you start thinking about. You know, okay, so there's 10 favorites and there's 10 fans. Obviously, the favorites have played Survivor before, and so certain things like shelter building are going to be easier for them and all that sort of stuff. But then, you know, the fans even mention once or twice, you hear some of them mention, like, well, we know how they play, and they don't know how we play, so we've got the advantage and stuff like that. Little do we know, I mean, you know, we laugh in retrospect, but I mean, we sort of were like, hey, maybe these guys can, you know, shake things up, and, you know, we don't know how they're going, and it's like we don't realize that these fans are, I mean, you know, we have two tribes. We have the favorites tribe the Molokal tribe and we have the fans tribe the dead meat tribe like they are literally like this is 20 people in the season 10 of them off the bat cannot win the game and you can argue that certain people on the favorites tribe also can't win the game so here we go 20 survivors and uh you know six of them can win well, I have I have another question for you. There's one contestant I watched the TV Guide special hosted by Todd. He hosted a special about um these about the about the premiere and there's one member of the fans tribe that CBS didn't want to put on the show and um the survivor team really really fought for this person, really really fought to make sure this person ended up on the show. They really want to make sure this person was on the show. Who do you think that person was? Chet. No. No. Was it a recruit? Um, yes. Okay, so... Mm? Are you, you going to say Mary? No, not Mary. Okay, good. Was... So now we're just listing... Now we're just listing Again, fans. We're, we're just, no, we Again, want to, we want to remind players. everyone of who the fans were on the season. Natalie be... Bolton, Alexis Jones. Nope, nope. Jason Siska. Siska. Not Siska. Oh, God. Mikey B? <laughs> Mikey B. <laughs> For some like, reason, CBS did not want him on the show, and Survivor and Jeff Probst just really, really, really fought for him. They had to have him. Thank God they put him on. Right. <laughs> well, Mikey okay. B is one of those guys who own like a bar in L.A. or something, right? He was one of these reality TV hangers on. Yeah, I feel yeah, like he has like be. some sort of like link with Mike Boogie from Big Brother at some yeah. point. Yeah, maybe that's why the CBS didn't want him. I don't know, but yeah, thank God he was there of all the great Those Mikey he... B's got to stick together across reality yeah, shows. You know, you know how it do. I mean, <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, these these poor fans, I mean, they have no chance. And it's not like, you know, some people may have said so at the time. I get that. But for most of us, we were all just sitting there going like, oh, you know, you never know. Th- yeah. Things may happen, all that sort of stuff. But it's like now knowing what we know, and that's that's always, you know, and that was really funny when they brought – um, uh, the second Survivor Caramoa and all these seasons later where they're like, let's do fans versus favorites again. And it's like, you know that that fans tribe is just literally drawing dead. And 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 yet they did it again. And and that's the thing with Survivor. And, and that's that's another thing with Survivor Micronesia is we're 16 seasons into the show. You know, they changed the format enough, you know, with, with Redemption Island, or not Redemption Island, but uh, Exile Island, and with, with Idols and with the blindsides and, and swaps and switches and all the things that they do, the game is fundamentally different from when they start. And, and 
you know, you know, the, the game evolves and, and things go. But as Mario has pointed out, he's he's written all these all stars fan fictions. And we have the one all stars where the unassuming female who you can argue maybe shouldn't be there wins the game. And here we've got this season with people with a significant amount of people returning and an unassuming female that people argue may or may not should have been there is going to win this game. And, you know, that's sort of a pattern. It's going to happen in the next one. And it's like eventually survivor people become self-aware and they're like, you know what? We need to not let this happen. And then they actively go. But we don't know this at the time. And so it's just really it's something else to go back and watch the season. Just looking at the fans tribe, just kind of shaking your head and going, oh, well. Enjoy the experience, lads, because that's about all you got. Well, I got to go into TV production 101 here. Like, clearly the producers could have fa- cast 10 fans, 10 super fans. I mean, Lord knows there's enough applying every season. Like I said, Dan Foley, I'm sure, was applying back then. So is this one of those things like they knew this tribe was dead meat and they wanted specifically to cast people they knew would A, be slaughtered, and B, not be as interesting as the other tribe? Because that's the one thing I noticed in these early episodes it's like, all right, let's go to the fans' tribe, fast forward until we get back to the favorites. Because all you really care about, at least, especially back at the time, were the favorites. I want to see what Ozzy's doing. I want to see what Penner's doing. Like, I don't really care what Mary and Mikey B are doing. So it's, do they specifically cast a tribe that they knew would sl- get slaughtered and would not be that interesting? How dare you, Mario? That is the holy triumvirate of showmances on Survivor Micronesia. You got James and Parvati, Ozzy and Amanda, and Mary and Mikey B. A love it's gone too soon. Taken out of the womb <laughs> prematurely. Um, I mean, maybe maybe one of the concerns was that, admittedly, the super fans fill a certain archetype. Maybe when you get ten of those similar personalities out there on the island, it's a little less interesting than, like, for example, <laughs> let's compare people like Joel and Kathy, both of a fan and a recruit, respectively, but they have completely different personalities. And so maybe they were saying, you know, let's cast people first, Going along the line of fans, maybe second in terms of tiering. It would have been interesting to see 10, that, 10 Cochrans out there. I also think that they that they try they tried to fill archetypes, but they also had to do certain things like where they're bringing James on for the favorites, so they have you know big uh, muscular guys. So then they're like, well, we need a big muscular guy on the fans tribe, right? You know, mm-hmm. so I think not not to, not to say that every person on the favorites has like an equal. Uh, uh, <laughs> counterpart on the on the fans tribe, but I think that they really tried to look at the pool of people that they were recruiting and or applying and trying to at least try to match it up somewhat similarly. So basically, this was the battle of the super friends. Wonder twin powers activate. <laughs> um, yeah, they, like Lex Luthor had the the equal uh, equal version of Superman. You had Bizarro on the other tribe. Bizarro, super, yeah, Bizarro. yeah, exactly. <laughs> All that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just so curious anyway, about uh, this. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Yeah. I don't know. Let, let, let's get into it. So they, they paddle there. Jeff's got the, the cool helicopter dip shot and fantastic. Well, I, I, did uh, you guys notice that this time, of course, Jeff does his typical helicopter dip shot, as he just mentioned. But for the first time, I believe they actually have a Survivor branded helicopter used for this shot. Yeah, it's shot. got the decal on. It's got the decal on the little uh, uh, the landing uh, uh, foray there. Good, good, good for them. They, wow. they, they can I do bet that. you didn't own that, Paul. You're in Survivor um, helicopter. I did. Well, you know, this was the last season in standard definition before it went to high def, so it's kind of hard to see sometimes. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so the, do the dip shot that go in there. Uh, do we get the credits at this point? I think we get the cred- credits are good. It's good music. I like it. Yeah, full. Although, is this the first season, or did they do this before, where they started removing people from the credits after they'd been voted out? So in China, they didn't remove people until the jury, if you remember when we were talking about, like, Hai Dai Feng, the Merge Tribe. 
Uh, and that's where they start like doing like, oh, the jury and people who are still left in the game. But starting in episode three is when they're going to outright remove Fair Play and Mary from the credits. And they're just going to show, oh, these are only the people that are left in the game, which is... A little strange, Mario. I know you talk about in like getting rid of uh, getting rid of the retrospective torch walk that you sort of hate it because that's a reason to sort of remember who was on this season and really honor them. This is another thing that kind of falls in that camp where like yes, you know Mary is no longer on the season, but it kind of sucks that we're not going to remember her even more because she's been removed from the show after episode two, even in the credits. I mean, who would forget Mary? But right. yeah, no, I don't. I don't Wait, mind the who? players being. Yeah, I don't mind the players being removed from the credits only because I'd seen that before in the mole. The mole used to do that in their opening credits, and I loved it. They just shortened the theme song, less players. It seemed more like more dramatic. So I didn't mind it in Survivor. You keep the torch walk at the end. You can take them out of the credits though, one by one. That's fine. So we get there. So you know they they like to do the fun reveals, and the, the, this is all fun. I mean, it's again we we talked about it on Survivor All Stars. Like that whole first sort of segment is like literally Survivor porn in a lot of ways. You know, just with the whole the tribes coming out and meeting each other, and because we have ten people that we don't know and also don't care about, um, you know, they get on the mat and just like, hey, idiots, welcome to Survivor. Here's who you're playing against. It's actual people we care about, and then they get to come out one by one starting with Sari. And I love the clip packages as well though they're odd choices like for example Amy's clip again we talked about like how she was seen at the time as being very cutthroat but her clip choice is like her girlfriend oh visiting God. to be like hey remember <laughs> the lesbian she's back. Right. That's that's the only thing we remember about Amy from Vanuatu was that she was a lesbian like what the hell. <laughs> And James being like, oh, here's James pushing down a tree. Let's glaze over the fact that he just got blindsided with two idols in his pocket. Sari eating raw fish. Like, you couldn't even do the leaves segment, really? Yeah. So, so you know, we get you, get you get the various people coming out, and you get to see, like, people that, that the people have a, a reaction to, or you get to see the people from the seasons that they actually had to watch before they went out there on, on the show, where... You know, uh, you know. <laughs> so Penner gets gets a pretty decent reaction. Sari gets a nice one. I feel like she should get a bigger one, but she didn't. And then Yao Man, of course, they go crazy. Um, James, they went crazy. Uh, Ozzy got a nice one, but it was really just you know Alexis making Gaga eyes at Ozzy. I guess they cut out uh, Eric making Gaga eyes at him also. Well, there's that as well. <laughs> um, and then they, you know, and then they round it out with. Uh, well, they don't round it out, but but. They, Amanda comes out, and that was a funny 115 entry. Yeah. Amanda, one of my favorites, where she comes out, and the fans clearly have no idea who the hell she is. And so they've been cheering every, yeah, they've been cheering everybody, even even people they don't maybe love, like uh, Sari gets a decent applause. But yeah, Amanda, it's the most polite golf clap you've ever heard. Just, like, they have no idea who this person is. And it's funny, because I wrote a funny 115, 115 entry about that, and that's one of my favorite personal entries. And people write me about that all the time. And I swear, this has got to be the number one most often received email I get about the Funny 115 is people say, how come they knew who James was and they applauded for him and they didn't know who Amanda was and they didn't applaud for her? Have and they the seen was, the first five episodes of Survivor China? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer was because James is a big character who you remember and Amanda is not. And this is something... I swear I get an email about that once every two or three days. Someone's Mario, saying, I'm sick of your fan fiction stories. Can we stick to what actually happened on the show? <laughs> yeah, I know. No, but Amanda, it's Amanda, they wouldn't recognize Amanda if she went out with her top off. Because they're like, oh, it's the blurred girl. Okay, now I remember her. 
No, what's funny is Kathy Sleckman, I asked her about that recently, too. I'm like, tell me my entry is correct. People really, you guys really had no idea who Amanda was. And Kathy's like, yeah, we had no idea who the fuck Amanda is. <laughs> we just watched four episodes of China, and we still didn't know who she was. But we all knew James, because James was interesting. So she's like, it was absolutely 100% accurate the way you portrayed that. None of us knew who Amanda was. So Amanda comes out, and they golf clap for her, and she's livid. And then... um you know, then then it's nine. So then Jeff's like, well, there's nine. We're done. No, wait, I'm just kidding. We're not. And he brings out the big get Johnny Fairplay, who's got a hat that says, you know, we'll lie what, for uh, food. We'll lie for food. Fantastic Fairplay stuff. And, you know, then we get Tracy going. I want to punch him. And I love <laughs> a Tracy's contempt for Fairplay, which is going to track throughout this entire episode. But B probes just clearly going off script but being like johnny fairplay already looking intoxicated and we get like the really funny moment where it appears that johnny fairplay is dressed exactly like jeff and to this day i'm still trying to wonder like what's fairplay trolling probes by dressing just like him or do you think wardrobe just happened to pick a couple of choices that mimicked his wardrobe oh 100 percent, he was trolling probes yeah 100 yeah, percent. he had to be in fact, also, he probes knows it too in their interaction. I don't you know if you guys wrote down the comment here where, where uh, yeah, probes says, "Are you dressing like me now?" Fairplay and Fairplay is like, "Hey, you guys want to know what you're playing for?" And probes with a great one-liner, he says something like, "It's nice that you have aspirations to rise above your current place in life." <laughs> it's and it's it was known before that Jeff Probes didn't want him on the show. Like he talks in interviews before the show, he says he he goes. Jeff goes, I even I emailed, he like does a little hand gesture to show that he knows how to email. I emailed Mark and was like, do we really need him on the show? And it sounds like Jeff Probst fought against it adamantly that he should not come back on the show. So the fact that they put him on the show despite Jeff's wishes, I think they probably put him in that outfit just to make it even like funnier um, for Jeff. And that's all Johnny Fairplay talks about in his TV Guide interview is talking about how his biggest opponent's going to be Jeff in the game. It's not going to be any of the contestants. So yeah, a little a little background. I think we talk like J- Johnny Fairplay and Jeff Probst have had, you know, a massive falling out at this point. You know, uh, stuff that happened. That, Johnny you know, Fairplay had his own literal falling out due to Danny Bonaducci. Yes, and, and and we're gonna get into that as well. So when when Jeff is saying Johnny Fairplay already looking intoxicated, Jeff is clearly digging at Fairplay because they do not like each other. But at the same time, maybe there's a bit of truth to that. And 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 the reason is basically this. Um, we're going to talk about this, but Johnny Fairplay recently did uh, a stunt on uh, some wrestling something or other because Johnny Fairplay did pro wrestling and it all was that an award stuff. show, right? It was an, oh, it's an award show. And yeah, the Bonnie, 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 thing was at like the reality TV awards. Or oh, something. It's the reality TV things. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So like he had a, a run in with Bonaduce and what did Bonaduce hit him? No, was it was the the, the bit was him. that like I, Fairplay yeah. tried to jump into Bonaduce's arms. Bonaduce ended up throwing Fairplay over his shoulder, kind of like what Eric does to Amanda in the episode three reward challenge. Yeah, pretty yeah, much, yeah. Fairplay apparently like lands on his teeth, I guess, and like has to get some serious dental work done, which may or may not have led to his need for painkillers, which I'm sure we'll talk about with his eventual boot. So yeah, you know. Let's give a little history. Yeah. Some of our younger viewers might not know who Dana, Danny Bonaduce even is or might not know about this story. There was a show called The Partridge Family in 1970. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bonaduce. Yeah, he had, that, he had that little resurgence. That was fantastic. Yeah, Danny Bonaduce played Danny Partridge on a TV show called The Partridge Family in the 70s. When he grew up, he grew up in the kind of a badass. Like he had drug problems. He was, he, he, he was, was like a. He was like yeah. He was he was a child star, right? So yeah, that's, he, that's he, the he went he the Episcopal route. He got like super jacked, went super hardcore, and he had a show 
in the mid 2000s called Breaking Bonaducci's. Hence yep. his appearance at the reality TV awards. Yeah. So, so what happens is, yeah, so Bonaducci is this big, strong guy. He's a kind of a badass mixed martial artist guy. Be- real bad drug problems in his past, but he's kind of having a resurgence. And there's an award show. Fair Play just decides to be a jackass and run up on stage and jump into Bonaducci's arms. And Bonaducci is going to have no part of it. He flips him right over his shoulder. Fair Play lands on his face. And it was a really big controversy and not out of character for Johnny Fair Play. He was kind of out of control back then just showing up and doing stuff like that. So he kind of asked for it, but it does have some big repercussions here in this season. Right. So, so fair play gets, gets, gets crunched by Bonaducci and he gets some dental work as Paul said, but what, what had happened is, is that he basically is on, it's, it's basically Vicodin. Like he's taking Vicodin for his, his dental work and stuff like that. And he was probably heavily on Vicodin. Was he, uh, abusing the Vicodin? I don't know, but like he was on heavily on Vicodin for his painkillers uh, so so maybe that was a fact, but when he gets out on the island, apparently they tell him, well, you're on the island now, no more Vicodin, or you know, no more painkillers, which is going to cause Johnny some consternation, so keep that in mind, we're going to keep going with the episode. Yeah. Johnny Fairplay hurts too, Jay. Yeah. I mean, you know, but what th- this is, here's the thing, we're going to talk about this because, again, we talk about the product that we see on television and what actually is going out there on the island. And a lot of times they're not quite the same. And Johnny has been very open in interviews afterwards about what happened at the beginning of Survivor Micronesia. So we know what's going on at the beginning of Survivor Micronesia. And we also have the product that we see on TV. So we kind of have to talk about both. And they are very different. Yeah. And just for people who don't know this, so many, we have so many young viewers. Just go Google Danny Bonaducci, Johnny Fairplay, and you'll see the actual incident. It was a big yep. one at the time. Well, let's yep. talk about something that might have brought Fairplay a little more pain because we have this. After the introduction of the favorites, we have another thing to move on to outside of the game uh, in that they're going to have a race to get to their boats across this little lagoon. Uh, but in, in addition to the maps and the boats, they're going to find an idol at in each boat for each tribe, and the person who finds that idol, one for each tribe, gets to use it at the first tribal council they attend, and that's it. So if Fairplay is going through a a painkiller problem, it probably doesn't help that he's going to get his head smashed into a wooden boat about five minutes into the game. This is something that I absolutely love, and I'll I'll tell you why. Not not, not necessarily all the injury and blah, 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 but what I like here is that it's this simple thing where Jeff's like, hey, by the way, you see across the lake, you see the two boats. Those are the boats that are going to take you to your camp. There's a map and, and and stuff on the boats. Oh, yeah. Also, over there on that island is an idol for each tribe, and you can use it at the first tribal council for both. So kind of like the, the thing they did in uh, Survivor Palau, right? Yeah. Um, uh, sort of an idol for, for two at the, at the first tribal council. And then he's just like, all right, anytime you want to go, go. So then the people get to go and, and, and race to them. But what I like is that Jeff didn't tell them specifically where those idols were. And they were conspicuous, but not super conspicuous in the sense that they were hanging on the edge of the boat, but it was on the edge of the boat that was not facing the contestants as they were coming into shore. And it wasn't like sticking out super badly. So what happened was, was like Eric Reichenbach and, you know, Ozzy and some of the better swimmers get over there first, but they don't initially see the idols. So they initially like go into the woods and are looking in the trees and stuff like that. And and that's sort of what I love is that, you know, yeah, the people get there first, but they don't really explain where these idols are. And so basically what happens is, is that, you know, all the people who get there are like way off into the woods looking for crap. And Fairplay is one of the last people or one of the middle to last people to get to the island, but he's not going to run off into the woods 
And he finally looks at the front of the boat and notices, oh, hey, that looks like an idol. And he grabs it, but he grabs the wrong one. Oh, this is this is all so great. Um, not only the the incident here now where he and Yalman then have to fight for the one that is actually on um, on the favorite's boat, which which Mike talked about here. Yalman slams Johnny Fairplay's head into the boat, which really pisses off Johnny Fairplay. A moment that I think is even better than that is our introduction to Kathy Sleckman, who is one of the greatest characters pre-merge of all time. Kathy's stumbling around on the beach, and she actually says, I have no idea what's going on. And then Yalman points to her to pick up the idol. So she picks up the idol that they had initially grabbed from the fans' boat, and she picks it up off the ground, kind of holds it up in the air to the camera, and jumps up and down like, yay, I found an idol. So great. <laughs> My And I say this absolutely lovingly, Kathy Sleckman is one of the biggest derps to ever exist in the game of Survivor. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to her good derp scenes in a minute here. <laughs> it, it, it's all really good. But yeah, that's the thing is that Johnny Fairfield picks up the fans tribe's idol and he realizes it. He's like, oh, crap, this is the wrong idol. But he and, and Yao Man is right there and they both realize that the idol for the the favorites tribe is hanging on the boat. And they brush both rush over there to get that. And Fairplay's got the inside edge, and he's grabbing for it, but Yao Man's quicker. And so he kind of runs outside of Fairplay, so he's running and grabbing. So he doesn't, like, push or shove, but his momentum is sort of carrying into Fairplay's back. And he reaches around Fairplay and grabs the idol, but his momentum in his body is careening toward the boat. And so Fairplay sort of stops and stumbles short of the boat, but his head slams into the side of the boat. And, you know, you know, then you see him go. I'm like, oh, you tackled me, Yao Man, and all that sort of stuff. And he has a nice confessional where he's slamming Yao Man, which is fantastic. But you have to remember, Johnny Fairplay has just gone through major dental work and has been in severe pain. And his the front of his face has literally just hit a boat. And, yeah. Jay, I mean, going along with your play-by-play, I, again, don't necessarily see Yao Man being painted as the big villain that Fairplay wants him to be. Because, again, if you watch that scene, Fairplay tripped pretty much yes yeah. Yao man might have like they might have just been like hugging each other too close that they sort of stumbled all over each other but Yao man at least by my view didn't push him at all fair play flat out oh. tripped and he happened to slide into the boat that's all i yeah. personally saw but of course fair play as a being a returning player and b being such a big narrative wrestling fan knows oh this is a perfect opportunity for me to say Hey, he's the big hero. You know, it's the equivalent of Boston Rob saying to Ethan, you know, he's not as you know, he's not as good as you think, ladies, in All Stars, where he's saying, like, Oh yeah, now yeah, man, Mr. Uh, cuddly Asian man is not the big hero that you think he is. <laughs> I love the fact that Johnny Fairplay, his storyline just works out perfectly for this him this uh villain wrestling manager that he wants to be. Like he always has an enemy just like in pro, pro wrestling, but it's always someone small and weak. Like in in Pearl Islands, he had Sandra, his big rival who could never is the worst challenge performer ever. And at the end of the season, he gets his ass kicked by Lil, of all people. And now in, in, in uh, Micronesia, his first five minutes of the episode, he had his ass kicked by the old Asian man. So I just love fair play. He picks perfect rivals for him, and they always top him, no matter how weak they are. So yes, and then, and then we get the fun Kathy Selectman derp scene. Uh, anything here, or can we get to, to camp building? No, I mean, the one thing I will say about Kathy, and I'm sure we'll have a lot about to say here later on, is I love Kathy's gestures and vocalization specifically. She has these weird things of, like, emphasizing certain words, like, you know what this means? 
safe! And she does like this weird like umpire-like gesture. Uh, something I've just noticed in these first few episodes is how Kathy like just randomly likes to yell certain words in the middle of her sentences <laughs> and like couple them with inane gestures. <laughs> I like to think that Kathy and Krista Hasty would get along quite well. Just odd little characters. Oh God, Krista. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what would Krista say about this, Jay? <laughs> <laughs> Hey there, Kathy. I see you've got yourself an idol. How does how, how would uh, Krista feel about Johnny Fairplay getting his head slammed into the boat? Johnny is the biggest puss <laughs> I've ever seen. Oh, the Valley Girl inflection you have in there. Uh, <clears throat> All right, so yeah. Good. So we go we go back to camp with the fans, and yeah, these are Kathy's dirt moments where she meets Chet, and wow, I have a gay friend. I've never met a gay person before. This is so cool. My gay. And I also love several things about this, because it's totally like Midwestern lady meets a gay man. But I love her saying, like, well, I never met a gay person, but I think I work with someone bartending in the 80s who might have been gay. <laughs> Just like, again, like, Kathy has this very storied history that we don't hear too, too much about. But I could totally imagine her, like, pulling that out of her ass. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure she was gay. And, of course, she jumps into the gay stereotype of, like, okay, yeah, you're pretty much like a girl, right? <laughs> you don't want to be a girl, though, do you? <laughs> And you notice it's you notice it's funny because you know she has the idols. So at the first fans tribal council, she literally cannot be voted for. But they talk about how you know we've talked in, in the past when you when you start on a tribe, you know, don't make waves, do what everyone. If everyone's working, you work. If everyone's not working, don't work, and all that sort of stuff. And literally within the first twenty minutes of being on the beach, everyone's like, "Boy, I can't wait to vote her out." My like, favorite oh, light of her Kathy. is her talking to Tracy, saying, I've never seen am- implants before. never seen them up close. Yeah. And the best part of that scene is that Tracy being like, well, how do you know I have them? And Kathy <laughs> just kind of gives her this look, like raises the eye and kind of looks down like, uh. And it's funny because in her pregame uh, interview stuff, Kathy was talking about, she's like, and I'm going to just ask the boob lady. Like, I'm just going to ask her. My first question is going to be, Why? Uh, I want to see Kathy be like a journalist. <laughs> I have to say that Tracy and Kathy scenes, the first time I've ever seen a female say to the other female, my eyes are up here, Kathy. <laughs> are you sure you weren't the bartender in the 80s, Kathy? <laughs> I have to say, Kathy reminds me of my mom. My mom was from a small town, Lutheran girl, and she would always say stuff like that. That's a gay. I'm like, yeah, I got it, mom. I'm pretty sure he's gay. So I have a, I have a strong affinity for Kathy because I kind of understand her. I also want to, uh, well, put this out when I get to the favorites, but I love tracking the careers that we get in this as well, especially the favorites. I don't know if you guys noticed, but Ozzy's career this season is photographer. He's a photographer now. Uh, I think a lot of people were photographing him, uh, but probably in not safe for work context. <laughs> and Parvati is what? Is she a charity organizer now? She's, a charity or- she's not a boxer anymore. Amanda, Amanda is an is aspiring designer. designer. <laughs> yeah, I, I almost felt like, you know, because Eric has an early confessional. I think it's when Ozzy's introduced on the mat. And Eric, it, it later talks about athletic prowess, about how Eric wants to, you know, test his athletic prowess against Ozzy. But, you know, Eric is a fan of the show and I get that. So he's just like, oh yeah, I know Ozzy well, but I almost wanted, I almost was like expecting him to say like, oh yeah, I know Ozzy well. I've seen all his films. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> I think Alexis the has. That, maybe like maybe that, was the, con- that was, that was the, probably the pregame footage that Alexis saw. She didn't watch Survivor <laughs> Cook Island. She watched, uh, you know, Naughty Nurses 7. 
Well, the the it was pro- probably part of their contract here. The faves weren't, you know, in All Stars. There were all the rumors about what they had to be paid to come on the show. Theirs was just we can put whatever we want as our career description. So um, that's why they got to get so inventive with what their careers were. Wait, so how did Ozzy also said that in, in his uh, pregame stuff, he said that he was doing some freelance writing, photography, and opening a skate park in Mexico. <laughs> well, yeah, if you remember, that's that's his inspiring uh, words to the youth at the end of the season. Right. Wait, learn, so learn to he, skateboard. He should have picked his profession as like skate Mexican skate park entrepreneur or something. Yeah. Wait, wait, Skateboarding wait, wait. mentor. So a month passed between Amanda playing China and Amanda playing Survivor Micronesia. Yes. How the hell did she quit her mountain guide job and suddenly become an aspiring designer? Well, she said that she was working on a gene that would maybe be coming to department stores. Those are her exact words. So, I mean, she had a little time to start working on a gene, okay? And not the gene that I effing hate. <laughs> Wrong kind of gene. Pisses me off just to hear that. To be fair, you can be an aspiring anything just by saying you are. Like, I'm an aspiring astronaut. How about that? I want to be an astronaut. Sure, why not? So aspiring isn't necessarily something actually, you need to you've be certified. you've been at this exact spot, you <laughs> just, know, just 20,000 miles north. <laughs> miles above us. That's... So did any, anybody on the favorites still have the same? Was James still a grave digger? I wasn't I'm, paying I'm pre- attention. I'm pretty sure he was. He wasn't like an aspiring novelist or something? <laughs> James, aspiring apple picker. <laughs> Johnny Fairplay's name changes to actually be Johnny Fairplay now. What's his profession? Does it say he's not an erotic art consultant anymore? Uh, just art consultant. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Johnny Fairplay's subtitle was just you know with ellipses after it. <laughs> yeah, that guy. <laughs> Don't worry, he's gone soon. Yeah. I also, I okay, mean, so- I, I, I love me some fair play, but like you could feel the stif- the, the stifled, but like the forced laughter when he's like, "Hey guys, I got a message in a bottle saying my grandma died," and everyone's like, "Ha ha, great, yep." <laughs> he's an aspiring murderer. All right, yeah. So this, so we're back at the the favorites camp now, finally. Yeah. So fair play is he's in a hole. He tells us he's in a whole different situation before. Last time he was a swinging single. He was living the crazy life. Now he's settled down. He's got a girlfriend. She's seven months old, uh, seven months pregnant. So yeah, his situation. This is going to come up later in the episode, but he just kind of drops it here at the start that he's I'm a different guy now. He's a family man. All right. So uh, yeah. And we then have- following that, we get a Parvati's winner uh, edit package here to uh, you know really sell us on Parvati very early on. Yes, when her and James catch crabs, but not in that way. <laughs> if it wasn't enough at the beginning of the episode, you know, before we even got to the on the beach here, they showed they gave us seven confessionals right in the beginning of little quick you know shots. That's when Pender says his little thing about the. Um, about that you might be a fan of the Boston Red Sox, but you don't want to play against them. You'll get your ass kicked. They do seven of them. They leave out Amanda, Eliza, and Amy. The fact that Parvati was included in these seven was kind of a, a clue right there that why are they selling Parvati so hard? Now already, you know, we've just moved over to the favorites camp. And she's the second kind of story we hear is that a Parvati's here. She's played a win. She's playing to win this time. Now I, like, wait, who's Parvati? Now I just want to keep imagining this Survivor Micronesia, if we keep tracking it throughout, of what if Denise from China was in this instead of Parvati? <laughs> we would have got more of the accent, that's for sure. This is like yeah. P-Water. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of the Black Widow Brigade. 
what's what's funny though is that you get you know and it's it's how it goes they they start showing that you know uh james and parvati are kind of matching up a little bit and amanda and ozzy are kind of matching up and they are sort of not only are they they pairing off kind of but they are also sort of forming like a foursome alliance right which hey look the two people from cook islands and the two people from china uh, you know, of similar ages are forming an alliance together. And then you also have that shot of uh, it's Amy, Eliza, Penner, and Yao Man who are like building the shelter and they're like, how about this four? How about this four? Let's just lock it in right now. Lock it in right now. Okay. So you have Amy, Eliza, Penner, and, and Yao Man. And notice that the two people that are not included and the two people that all of a sudden hold swing power in this in this, uh, in this this tribe are Sari and Johnny Fairplay. <laughs> yep. It's a 4v4 with two in the middle. Yeah, these are the two biggest strategists coming into this season. Let's immediately make them the swing votes and the most important people on this tribe. <laughs> I should point out, going into the season, when Probst was hyping it, this is the thing he kept saying ad nauseum. There's two romances, two of the greatest romances we've ever had on the show. We got some great footage. There's some blind sides, but romances. So he really hyped this up going into the season, this Amanda and uh, Ozzy and then James and Parvati. And I guess sort of also yeah. the uh, the subtext to this all scene as well is that the favorites are also, understandably in this format, kicking ass. You have Ozzy's already catching food, James is throwing down trees with his bare hand, and it seems like they have a great shelter, and I'm sure we're going to talk about cutting immediately to the fans having to build their shelter in the dark in the pouring rain. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the fans do not do well the first night. In fact, Kathy starts her uh, five-episode breakdown arc starting here. Yeah, and 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 not only that, not only do we get the juxtaposition of the the uh, the favorites tribe doing really well with Ozzy catching food. Does, does has Yao Man made fire yet or no? That's t- that's the next day, I think. That's the next day. So like you know, Ozzy's already doing food. They already got a good shelter going. And and as you said, Mike, they cut to the. It was a really interesting shot. I felt like of the fans continuing to try to build the shelter in the dark which is never a good sign that's rupert-esque when you're building a shelter in the dark and uh what would what would rafa say about it all right oh 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 no oh no no and 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 we're gonna continue this and i know we're gonna do a running commentary but i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you guys the fan i mean i've said it before but but this one may be for real the fan shelter could be the worst shelter ever made well, like I was thinking, made, I was thinking or, about or, that or though. I'm, it's definitely on Mount Rushmore with Saboga, and I feel yeah. like we can't count out the uh, the young men's shelter in the first episode the young, of Survivor Exile. The young men's shelter is pretty bad. Let's remember for those of you that forget, it was literally just a pile of sticks leaned up against a soul tree in the middle of the jungle. <laughs> that was pretty terrible. See, this is where it breaks my heart that Deb never built her rock shelter because that would have been number one. Clearly, the minute it collapsed and killed everybody. Well, you know, there is that. All right, yeah, so but, we get yeah, to the... It's bad. I was going to say, we're getting up to the first immunity challenge here, but there's a great quote. Johnny Fairplay, again, he delivers quite a bit in his one episode where he's got a great quote where he says, you know, I'm in the middle here. Everyone believes what I say. He kind of laughs. He's like, have they not seen the show before? Yeah. And with that, we go right into the first immunity challenge. Another one of these old school sort of first challenges where it's like you got to lug something heavy and there's many steps and go over some distances. I mean, it's right out of the... At a Survivor 101, I dug it. I got to tell you, I thought it was good. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it reminded me of the, the first one in uh, Africa where they had to drag that cart through all the rocks, and Ethan kept yeah. falling all the time. Mm-hmm. I also per- like the little back the and, cannons. Yeah, yeah, I also like kind of like the little back and forth before uh, before the challenge with you know Johnny Fairplay is just kind of being an ass about the 
about the fans and then Joel kind of he tries to be all smooth and he's like says something about you know well they they can keep eating and we and uh, we can uh, uh, win the challenges it was like yeah. <laughs> just another like showing of okay pathetic fans here you can't yeah. even like you know dish it back verbally here <laughs> yeah right. fair play people don't remember this probably but fair play says to Joel you guys are dumber than you look yeah it's, the, is- title, it's the title of the episode which I think is also just a great theme for the fans of this season <laughs> yeah fans in quotes yeah, so 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 just to do this whole thing, the, they need to like assemble wheels for their cart, which are like puzzle wheel kind of things, and then they need to uh, navigate the cart through some obstacles and stuff like that. And then they get to like a sand pit, and they need to dig up planks, and the planks make a bridge that they need to push the cart over the bridge. And then they need to get to a like a, like this little turnstile turny thingy, and they need to then remove the wheels, assemble the wheels to you know turn the thing, and then that the the turny thing basically sets a firewalk on fire and that is the tribal immunity and uh, you know it, it's it's like a, a an, an early challenge you know i mean some 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 uh some back and forth ish type things but you know the the fans kind of pull out to a lead and the favorites have some nice wipeouts some fantastic wipeouts yeah and i i feel like something that goes underscored here and we're going to talk about you know jonathan getting evacuated james eventually getting evacuated apparently chet was about to be evacuated people get injured on this season but you see in these first few episodes eliza gets injured on almost every challenge and we see it right here in the beginning where the favorites cart immediately like hits the first tree it can and eliza does a front flip a fair play if you <laughs> yeah. will, over the wagon and like dings part of her face that's going to be prevalent for the rest of the season so keep a yeah. tally, keep a watch there of all the injuries eliza has yeah it's one of those things you don't see the entire wipeout you just kind of see it afterwards but she hits hard and you can see her holding her face very concerned about it. she thinks that she might have almost lost her eye it's a pretty scary moment i bet i bet if you were to ask eliza she would say it was it was actually even worse than it looked on tv i bet it was i mean she took a hard fall mm-hmm yeah, but this is one of those challenges. One of the things when I was noticing going through these episodes is that Jason Siska is actually pretty good at these challenges. So in this one, it's Jason, Joel, and Mikey B. They're just dragging that cart through the thing, and they just basically kick the ass of the, the favorites in this one. The fans win it pretty easily. Are you yeah. saying Jason was godlike in that moment? He can be. He has godlike tendencies. He's How an aspiring god. How squirrely was he? He was just squirrely enough. <laughs> so the... Uh... The fans win this. I mean, you know, and it's always tough because the favorites have they're, they're almost in a lose lose situation. It's sort of, you know, in in a lot of ways, it's like, you know, a male tribe in the in the on a male female season with with challenge one where it's like if, you know, people, I think, expect the male tribe to win somehow which, you know, you, knowing the track record, you probably would say, no, the opposite. But, you know, the men are like, well, if we win, we beat women in the challenge. And if we lose, then we lost to girls. And so it's kind of like a lose-lose proposition. Whereas in this case, it's the favorites, right? Where they're like, we probably should win since we're the survivor veterans. And if we win, okay, that's expected. And if we lose, hey, the that's how it goes. But it's like the fans want to prove themselves and the favorites. I mean, Hey, you want to win the challenge. You want to win immunity. It's not like no one wants to win immunity, but I think that the sense of urgency uh, was a little bit higher on the fans tribe and they just, they win the challenge. Yeah. Penner even says, so he goes, these fans are so excited, so enthusiastic. They had more heart than we did, which is true. You can, it's totally, you can totally tell watching the episode, even though they are not survivor fans per se, they still are excited that they beat the favorites. Well, I don't know if you remember Jason's first confessional from this season, but 
you know, he's just excited because living out in the wild is something he's always dreamed of doing. Not necessarily playing Survivor, just sort of being homeless on an island for a bit. <laughs> he does. He gets the first confessional of the season, if I recall. Jason, Cisco. Yeah, Jason Siska is another one. He, he's another one of these people where I feel like he just w- was on the plane and they just were like, hey, you <laughs> go. And he just wandered into the group. And then they're like, he's like, what are you guys doing? We're playing yeah. this game called Survivor. Far out. You know, <laughs> and he just kind of, you know, went in there and, and, and started playing the game. Like, oh, I guess, I guess, I guess he's here now. All right. That's cool. <laughs> Sweet. I got Shanghai. Awesome. Yeah. Badass. All right, so yeah, the fans win. The favorites are going to go to the first uh, tribal council, which again is just one of the inherent draw uh, downsides of these fans versus favorite seasons. That the the favorites tribe is way more interesting. We really don't care about the fans yet at this point, so it's probably better we're going to a favorite tribal council right off the bat. That's probably the ideal way for how the storytelling would work in a season like this. Right. I mean, and, uh, the, the the fans tribe they're they're more of like the the reddish orange buff color. I mean, it's Lamina all over again. Yeah, at least it's a pastel version though so it's a little bit lighter a little bit blander I also will say pick a small bone with it I don't know if you guys noticed the tribe flags but it feels like the the names of the tribes were done in like a version of Comic Sans like I know like the previous tribe flags were done with like at least some sort of font that at least tries to pass it off as some sort of archaic and tribal. <laughs> this ones are like alright what do we got in Microsoft Word alright that looks fun let's just throw Malakal on top of it <laughs> Well, it is we funny. The, do you think we should change the font on that, Jenkins? Nah, I mean, we gotta go. It, this is printed. <laughs> yeah, they were one step away from putting clip art on it. Well, it was, I was gonna say, as, as many people tend to describe Nicaragua as a parody of a Survivor season now, at the time, Micronesia kind of had that reputation. It was kind of a parody of a Survivor season. It was kind of fun. People did stupid stuff. You had the stick with the smiley face. Like, it was the funny season. So, it would totally fit if the Comic Sans was used in Micronesia. So anyway, we get to uh, we get to the the favorites tribe trying to figure out tribal council, and uh, well, we get the swan song of Mr. Fairplay. This scene is edited so weirdly, where it seems like it's one continuous conversation. It probably isn't, but you see Parvati and Fairplay walking through the woods, and Fairplay is like, "All right, I'm going with you guys. We're gonna, you know." Or you see Fairplay is trying to court both sides, though it seems like, from what we can tell narrative wise, if he wasn't going to go, he would have sided with the other foursome and gone after the couple, specifically Parvati. But then we get this confessional in the middle where he's like, you know, my girlfriend's pregnant and I, I really miss her and I just, I feel like something's wrong with my little girl. And then, like, by the time they're walking out of the woods, Fairplay asks Parvati to vote him out. It's just such a weird turn for me. Yeah, it seems like it was almost inserted in there to justify what's going to happen later. Yeah. But I agree with you. It seems like it's also one take. So I'm not sure. It's almost like he changes his mindset right in the middle of a scene. But I can't tell if that's editing or not. It's tough. And and Fairplay has said in an interview. And, and again, remember the the thing with Bonaducci and the dental work and the pain and stuff like that. Fairplay is 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 according to him. I mean, he's he's in a lot of pain, and he would like a painkiller. And Survivor said, no, you can't have them. And apparently, at some point, he was talking with James or blah blah, and James had some pill that he was taking and fair play is like, wait a minute, what are you taking for? And it, it was like a, a nicotine, nicotine pill. Yeah. yeah. Cause, cause James smoked and James, you know, aspiring non smoker. <laughs> right. So, so J- James is taking a nicotine pill. So fair play was basically like, wait a minute, you could have nicotine pills out here and I can't have something for a major dental work that I just had. Screw. And he just got really upset and basically was like, I'm done. I'm out of here. 
And that's that was sort of the wheels turning. I mean, I, I think that there is truth to the narrative of I'm missing uh, my girlfriend and, you know, my soon to be child and blah, 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 blah. But I think at this point, Fairplay is just fed up with everything. Yeah. And Fairplay has said that in interviews many times. He's defended that. He's never really changed his story. And I've heard Thunder D, his buddies say the same thing. Like, yeah, the, the problem was Fairplay was in this huge amount of pain. They took away his pain pills and he was just kind of fed up because other people were getting stuff that he wasn't. So he thought it was unfair. And again, he was just in pain. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to have a smashed face trying to live on Survivor. That's a horrible situation. And I'm sure this will not be the last time we're going to talk about behind-the-scenes details that were left on the cutting room floor that might explain boots and or removals a little more than what was shown on screen. Oh, boy. And how. So, mm-hmm. um, but, but the narrative, at least, that we're talking about is that Fairplay, it looks like he's going to side with... Uh, Penner and Eliza and Amy and Yao Man and and take out and and his target he wants Parvati to go which considering how the season goes that is that is definitely something to really think about if Parvati is literally the first boot oh imagine how much that changes Survivor history if Parvati yeah. becomes forgotten and never wins yeah wow I mean this is yeah this is on par with basically Brandon siding with Lex over Kelly back in Africa where it changes so much in Survivor history with one decision but yeah. Fair play absolutely could have swung this game the other way, and it probably would have happened. So just uh, people who like alternative versions of Survivor history, think about that one. Also, that that also shows in a lot of ways how you can't necessarily put boot orders or things like that into how people play or how good of a player someone is. That's something that really upsets me, and it's not necessarily about Johnny Fairplay. I'm not going to sit here and defend his gameplay or, or or anything along those lines. I think Fairplay's uh, body of work speaks for itself. But I, we went on and basically said Johnny Fairplay was a... As much of a cad as he is, and he is one, he is a fantastic survivor player. And I think that even though he goes here and and clearly, you know, he wants to go and they they just, you know, sort of vote him out of the game because that's what his wish is because he's done with it. He is the most hated guy in survivor. There's a target on his back a mile wide. Like everyone's just like, oh, my God, it's Johnny Fairplay. And he ends up basically steering the fate of the two main alliances going into this game with the first three days. I mean, it's just masterful. Johnny yeah. Fairplay. He's Sandra-esque in the way he can do that. I'm sure he'd they love know, that comparison. They know not to trust him. They know not to trust him, yet he's still right in the middle, and they all trust him. Yeah, the Sandra and John thing, that's why I love them so much in Pearl Islands, because they're so similar. And it's interesting Anyways. to hear Parvati's response to all this as well is not oh, I'm sorry that you're feeling this way and you're missing your child or your unborn child. It's, oh, yeah, keep keep this up. That way we can throw Eliza off the scent so we can get rid of her. Uh, the part right. of the laugh in there. And, and it's tough. And it also shows sort of an intensity in the gameplay as well. This is not the first time in Survivor that someone has kind of wanted to go home. And, you know, because both tri- both well, not both tribes, both alliances are like we don't necessarily want you to go home because we want to use you and your vote to gain power in this game right i mean even survivor amazon with shauna you know wanting to go home and dina's like but we kind of need your vote right so you know this is not new to survivor but this is again one of those things where johnny fairplay is like yeah vote me out and there's two things that play with johnny fairplay one is one we don't necessarily want to send you home because we want to use your vote and number two is what's your angle do you really want to go home or do you not? Like Johnny Fairplay is such a, a liar and an abuser of people's truths that, you know, when he's like, no, I'm dead serious. Vote me out. They're like, what are you aiming at? <laughs> What's your sell here? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no, I really want you to vote me out. Uh-huh, but what do you really want? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think you do. A little John Carroll do you, in there. Do you even have a pregnant girlfriend at home? <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's, so we go, we go to tribal council here, and I have to say this is one of my favorite tribal council sets because they have to take a little boat out there. Yep. And I kind of forgot about that. And it's indoors as well, which is good because they were hit with so much rain, at least in these first few episodes, that you can imagine production was like letting out a sigh of relief in terms of lighting setup. So basically, this, you know, there's not a whole ton that gets gleaned out of this. Uh, this this first tribal council from a from a from a whole tribe sort of standpoint. I mean, this is basically this basically turns into a back and forth between fair play and probes for the most part. Mm-hmm. I mean, other people are chiming in and stuff like that, but basically, fair play is like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go home. I'd like to see my child, and I think they want him to vote out. And I mean, you know, people are chiming in, going like, well, maybe he won't go home. I don't know what's going to go on. But Jeff really is trying to lay into fair play and and call this a quit. <laughs> Forgive really my deep. skepticism. I love when yeah. Jeff does like his little puts on his little Sherlock Holmes hat. Like I believe you lied about a relative last time you were here, Mister Fairplay. And he actually does call him Mister Fairplay in this <laughs> tribal council. I actually think in real life, Fairplay might have legally changed his name to Johnny Fairplay. So that may be technically accurate, unless it's okay. Master Fairplay or Doctor Fairplay. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of those things where Probst is like a huge asshole to Fairplay. Which is funny because, you know, Fairplay is a dick to people, but Probst is an even bigger dick to him in this scene. It's hard to watch for me. Yeah, there's a point where Fairplay, like, breaks the fourth wall of Tribal Council yeah. and just speaks yeah, yeah, right yeah. to Jeff. And, like, Jeff is like, oh, Ozzy, like, what is, you know, do, is Johnny Fairplay playing a game? And Fairplay just looks right at Jeff. He's like, Jeff, no, basically don't go through Ozzy. I'm letting you know right now I'm not going to put on a show. This is actually what I'm feeling right now. And, again, yeah, he- let's go back to that statement that I said before where Jeff's like, I love this season because everyone was like, you know, treating me like an asshole the last time, but now they revere me. This is the lone exception where Fairplay's actually going to try to talk to Propes like a peer in that one moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he even says at some point, he's like, like, I know what you want. This is, I'm, I'm literally just telling you this is it. There's no other angle to this. This is, you know, and he's basically, he, he's like, look, Propes, I know you're trying to mine things for a story and this, that, but this is literally it. And it, you're right, Mike, it was like a complete break of the fourth wall there. And it, it sort of gives a glimpse. I mean, we've talked about it uh, several times on this podcast, but tribal councils are like three times as long as we see because Jeff is just grilling everyone. And, you know, sometimes people answer questions and they aren't good answers and or they're not what he wants and all that sort of stuff. And Jeff just keeps at it and keeps at it and keeps at it. And so we, we get a real edited version of tribal councils. But I think at this point, John Fairplay is just like, look, stop the cameras. This is what's going on. You know, there's no other thing to, to be had here. It's is real interesting sort of back and forth there between fair play and probes. And with that, we lose the beloved fan favorite, Johnny Fairplay. Voted out, what At is it, 9 he, to 1? And he, he votes for Ozzy, right? He said, I love I Heart he, Ozzy. He votes for I Heart Ozzy, which uh, him and Amanda are going to share that sentiment very soon. <laughs> At least he gets a hug on the way out. That's kind of sweet. He, yeah. goes, he goes half Dawson. The, re- the reluctant hug. <laughs> Well, that's the thing about Fairplay. A lot of people just, if you haven't watched these episodes or this season in a while, he delivers in this one episode. He's got a bunch of good quotes. He's got some funny little moments. He hugs Jeff at the end. He dresses, dresses like Probst. He, he baits Probes into response a couple times. So it's like he's not a total flop. He's got to be one of the most successful one-episode characters in Survivor history, if you just look at what he does in this one episode here. But that's the thing, though. At the time, a lot of people were pissed off at this happening, A, because it was at the expense of having one of the biggest characters go home, and B, because, again, we look at 
the Amanda Parvati contingency, arguably the two people, Parvati more so, that shouldn't be there, they get spared, Parvati specifically, out of the spotlight for an episode. Do you feel like it was worth it to have Fair Play back, if only for that one episode? It's a tough call. I mean, I would have rather had someone who's more significant to the season. And again, and a lot of this factors into the... You, you left out the point that a lot of people were mad. Fair play, quit. All quitters should die. I, sh- I could have been on cast on the show. I wanted to play. So, like, a lot of people were just furious that Fair Play quit or it was a perceived as a quit because probes tried to push it in that direction. So, was it justified? Was it worth it having him there? I love that he was there. I'm glad that I got one more episode of Johnny Fair Play in my life just because I like Survivor history and he's one of my favorite characters. I don't know if it was worth it having him there because he really didn't contribute to the storyline and he i mean single-handedly let poverty get further than she should have so it's it's kind of a loaded question there yeah and and i guess the big question mike is if fair play does not do survivor micronesia whatsoever does he get invited to survivor heroes versus villains i would think think yes considering that they were reaching reaching out to richard hatch post arrest post prison time to go on to this season, I feel like they would definitely reach out to Fair Play. Right, and I know that Fair Play and Probes don't like each other and all that sort of stuff, but I feel like if 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 Fair Play doesn't do Micronesia whatsoever and we get him on Heroes vs. Villains, maybe he only lasts one episode there. I don't know. But to me, the fact that Fair Play wasn't on Survivor Heroes vs. Villains because of the catastrophe of his his time here on Survivor Micronesia, to me, is the biggest problem I have. But I think Mario's right. He he has a fantastic three day arc on on Survivor Micronesia. You couldn't if he was going to be there for three days. I don't think you could have asked for more in those three days. But the fact that this was the one time that they were basically going to bring him back and they weren't going to bring him back anymore, it's kind of sad in a lot of ways. Yeah, and now Probst and the fan base can say things like, "Well." We'll never bring back quitters. He's never coming back again. And probes can justify the fact that he already didn't like him to start with. Now he has this rule. Oh, he quit. Well, it's not up to me anymore. He can't come back. So I think that sucks. I mean, it was just bad timing. We all know the face thing and the injury had so much to do with why Fair Play wasn't there. And if you think, I mean, in Heroes versus Villains, that would have been two, three years down the road, and he wouldn't have had those facial pain issues anymore. So it's it's just unfortunate the way it happened when it did. Yeah, unless uh, Peter Brady drops him on his head a year beforehand, and then he has to deal with that injury. <laughs> it's a new fair, a new reality show. Fair Play takes on seventies child stars. <laughs> I, I, I love, I love that you went from Bonaduce to 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 Peter Brady. <laughs> yeah, just having a little bit. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to keep it a little in the family, even though they were different families. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's just very unfortunate, and I just. I don't know if Fairplay listens to us. I don't. I wouldn't presume to think that he does. We're that important. But if he does, we all support you. And uh, uh, I really wish he would be back on the show. And it would have been fantastic to have him on Heroes vs. Villains because clearly that's where he belonged. So much. So much. But uh, rip Fairplay. Uh, and and uh, we're down to nine. And interestingly enough, going further, that just basically means that you know Fairplay was tipping the balance and Suri was kind of laying low this time. But now we've got... The four against the four with Sari in the middle, which, you know, will be fun going on. Yeah, although I have to say from watching these episodes, it doesn't look like it's as obvious as it doesn't look like it's four versus four as obviously as they're setting it up in the episodes. Mm -hmm. I see Amy in the middle there quite a bit. Eliza's going to vote with the couples in the next episode. So things were, I feel like, a little more fluid where it was pretty much like 
you could I think I think it functioned more so as pairs. Obviously, you have James and Parvati, you have Ozzy and Amanda, but episode three, which we're going to get to, really focuses a lot on like the Jonathan and Yao Man pairing, which seem, mm-hmm. definitely seems more prevalent than the Jonathan Yao Man Amy Eliza contingency. Yeah, Amy is all over the place. If you pay attention, she's always hanging out with somebody new. Well, right, she's doing the, she's doing the social threes thing. on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, speaking of on the show, episode two is the Mary episode. <laughs> Here we go, okay. episode two. Yeah, we go. <laughs> this is what I love about Survivor, just little goofy moments like this, which I didn't even remember until I watched it this morning. But they're walking back from tribal council, and Ozzy manages to catch up fish with his bare hands in the pitch dark. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what the hell? Boy. I'm glad Amanda knows that Ozzy can handle slippery things in the dark now. That probably is knowledge well earned. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Mikey B on fire. Do not compare me to him. <laughs> <laughs> do you have yeah. Do you have a tattoo that's like uh, several boxes that you have checked, but some unchecked? Yeah, we could probably talk about this because this is also like where we get to see like as much as we may disparage Mikey B as like wow, what a big character he actually is a pretty big part of these first four episodes. But what the hell is going on with those tattoos? I guess the ticket stub you could see, but yeah, there's I, his arm has this weird like. Um, I don't know, it feels like it looks like a tattoo of a Scantron test where he's like filling in bubbles of C and E. Like a bucket list or something. Yeah, I mean, I know that's what it probably is, but still, you're just kind of like, all right, all right, okay. That's just Mikey B being Mikey B. He's like, be a forgettable pre-merge, pre-merge uh, boot on Survivor check. Yeah. But Big yeah, you guys were right. He actually is more prominent in this season than I remembered. He's one of the bigger characters on the fans. Sad, sad as that is. Well, He's one much. of the bigger characters <laughs> on the fans. Oh my god. Damning with faint praise. Alright, so here we go. Yeah, fair play quitting. Screwed everyone else's plans up. Now uh, it's basically 4v4 with Suri in the middle. And now we go uh, to the fans at night and they are hurting. Where they still have no shelter. It's raining. And uh, they can't start the fire. It's just a mess. And this yeah. is the one where Kathy, Kathy's just complaining. There, there's, a, there, there's a good moment, like, right there where, like, they have, a, they have a bad night, and then they get up in the morning. And what I love is that, you know, it's the morning. They've got Flint. They know that their shelter sucks. And then there's just this fun moment, and it sort of almost seems like it's unedited, but it totally is edited, where, like, it's a good 15 seconds of everyone just talking at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. It's clear there's no, I mean, that's the editors just showing there's no leader on this tribe. They yeah. don't really know what they're doing. Yeah, no, and Kathy is quickly developing a reputation as kind of a complainer. She just whines. She doesn't do a lot. Um, she's still fascinated by the implants, I guess. I don't know. But the other thing that's, that's important about this episode is we see that the fans are breaking down into seven versus three, where it's basically the seven younger ones against the three older ones, and the three older ones are Tracy, Kathy, and Chet, yeah, who are kind of being outcast here. The gay, the derp, and the tits versus everybody else. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's such a great social game on behalf of some of these fans here. You know, when uh, when uh, Kathy's having a hard time and Joel shouts at her, if you want the place to sleep, do something. Well, what I like is there's there's weird time things that you don't get. Like you, you get a sense of what's going on in the edit, right, where, you know, the, they get the flint. So so the boys like like Joel and, and, and Mikey B and, and, you know, some of the the younger people, they're they're going by the flint. They're going to make the fire. Right. And you see a thing where, like, I think Alexis, like, gets a gets a flame going right away. Then it it peters out. And then and then then they start chopping away at the flint. And, and like it seems like time is passing and they 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 keep 
flinting and nothing keeps happening. And they talk about how they've used half the flint and you're sort of cringing because it's like they keep chopping away at the flint with the machete and, and no no fire is happening. So basically, not only can the fans not build a shelter, they also can't start a fire with flint. So you've got that. And then, you know, Kathy's talking about, you know, we want to do something. We want to make a shelter, but they keep being preoccupied with the fire. But and you're sitting there going like, well, why aren't you doing something? But they they say quite clearly they need the machete to do things and they've got the machete to do the fire and the flint thing. So then they, they want the machete. And then it's like Joel's like, well, if you want a shelter, do something. And it's like, well, you have the machete like and then he's like, I was making fire for half an hour. So I was like, so the time lapse and all of this thing was was literally half an hour of time. Or is your sense of time wrong? Like, there's just all these weird things going on there. But basically what you get the sense of is that, you know, the old people are on the are on the outside and the young people are on the end, but no one's doing anything right. It's not like the old people are right and the young people are wrong. I don't, I don't, just, I don't, I don't understand why you guys can't just break logs over your knees like I do. It's a simple exercise that us firemen always do. And, and then there's this interesting thing where like they want the they want the shelter and they want to build a shelter, but they can't. And then they get the idea like, oh wait, there's a cave alcove over there. Let's go over there and you know clean out the cave alcove. And we'll go there and they go there and then the young people are already there cleaning it out. It's Jason's, yeah, Jason's habitat. Okay. Yeah. This is my cave. I, I think yeah. Jason might have a plan to live there for like three months. That's Maybe yeah. that's why he used the term habitat. Or, or maybe he was already living there. Like, we, we don't know. Like he And he just wandered over and he's like, whoa, there's cameras and other people here. Hey, far out. So, like... It's a bed you know, and breakfast. It has a smiley face on it. But then, you know, in, in great survivor social strategies, which starts up the God Siska thing, where... They all come over and they're like, well, I wanted to go in the cave. And Jason and Siska's like, well, I'm going to sleep in the whole cave, the whole area. So, no, you can't be here. So they just it feels so frantic there. Like it just is like stressful just to like observe them run around all over the place. It just like does not feel peaceful at all. But it's such no. a we- it's such a weird edit, though, because, again, Jay, you just mentioned how like. These two people are not necessarily being goofed on, but they're very much being portrayed as, like, these are the weak people, these are the lazy people. But then it ends with them finally getting the machete and saying, okay, we're going to build a shelter for just us three. We'll build this little lean-to. And everyone else walks over, they're like, oh, that's cool. Can you build another one for us seven as well? So it ends with this really odd note of, like, they're working together, but at the same time, there are still two shelters being built adjoining to each other. Yeah, and not only that, but then we get this this thing, and, and again, it's all it's all perspective politics as it is but like jason like they go over there and they want to clear off a spot underneath the cave and jason's like you can't be here i don't want you here so then they're like okay i guess we'll build a shelter over here so then like mikey b comes over and jason they're like yeah i guess they're gonna build a shelter there and joel's like please tell me we're not divided already and they're like yeah that's exactly what it is i'm like because jason siska literally just said you cannot be under the cave Like whose fault is it? Like I'm not I'm not saying that the that the three are not at fault at all because clearly they didn't help in matters. But like Joel is against them, and Joel's basically like, "Oh look, they're going off on their own." Please tell me we're not divided. And I was like, "Someone that you're agreeing with literally told them to go away." So it's not entirely on them as well. But yeah, you're right, Mike. Then they build this lean-to that's pretty good, and they're like, "Hey, that was pretty good. Do you think we could build one right next to you, or you could build it for us? Show us how to do it." And and we're all bury the hatchet, and it's like Jesus, what a, what a what a tribe! I'm so glad that you're here to you get punked on by the uh, by everybody else in the game. Yeah, surprisingly, the fans are not going to do well this season. I mean, if you didn't figure it out by now, 
just just with the setup, this is it's literally just just painting it over the head. The fans are not going to do well. Yeah, you don't need yeah. to be an aspiring detective to solve that problem. <laughs> now here we come, my big first big pet peeve with this season. This is now now we have uh, Mary and Mikey B start coupling up. So now we've got our third couple of the season, and and it, it's shown endlessly in these scenes. They always talk about the couples, and I know in the interviews, Probst is always raving about it. We have all these couples this year. It's the greatest thing ever, and it was one of those things that was one of my beefs with All-Stars at the time. Like, you know, if I wanted to see that, I'd watch The Bachelor. I don't want to see this on Survivor. And now we have three of them in one season, and Probst is jizzing himself over all of them. So this is one of my, my pet peeves with Micronesia. It's such a couple season, and the show loves that about it. They, they, they just pat themselves on their back when they start having couples on Survivor. And this season is the worst of it. In fact, we're going to get this. This is where we go to the, uh, the footage of Ozzy and Amanda kissing. And I know there's a bunch of interviews out there that Jeff gave at the time saying, this is the most amazing footage we ever got. They tried so hard to hide from us. We hit our cameras. We did all this stuff, and we caught them making out. And Jeff would just go on and on in interviews at the time. Like, this was the greatest thing they'd ever had on their show. And, like, what show are you making, dude? This is, like, the highlight of your show. Like, he was so excited they got that footage, and they're going to keep showing it every episode now for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and we, skipped, just, we, we skipped over uh, Ozzy taking a, a big, deep look at a clam. And then he looks at a sea creature as well. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's wow. one of my pet peeves. <laughs> okay. I'll gloss over that one for you, Mike. That was that was Doing you a favor. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so that's one. There's a lot of couple pet peeves I have with Micronesia, and that's one of them right here, that they're they're repeating some of the things that I hated about All-Stars, that, that romance on the show was the greatest thing ever. That's how it comes off. Well, but I mean, it also shows as well, I mean... Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a little more successful on the uh, the, the favorite side because the, the the couple alliance is going to do pretty well for themselves. But but this is you know they talk about Mikey B flirting with Mary and the two of them sort of flirting together. This sends up warning flags to especially Joel, but you know everyone on the tribe just basically saying, oh this this isn't good. And I mean this is gonna pay immediate dividends this episode. Me no yeah, like I- me no like jungle love. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I guess Joel. Mike's got his Joel voice down. Joel, I, Joel, of, Joel of the jungle. Yes, yeah. I, I do. Joel is, again, it's going to be a flash in the pan character. He only lasts five episodes, but he is fascinating to me because he is, I mean, if you have to cast one person from Survivor history to play the rock person from NeverEnding Story, you're going to look towards Joel, bar none, but he is so paranoid at the same time where, again, he's going to, in the first vote amongst these fans, um, with Chet on the table, he decides, no, I'm going to gun for the girl of the guy who may be jockeying for my position as leader of this tribe. Yeah, now we'll have a lot to say about Joel here in a minute. All right, let's go to episode two, the reward challenge. This is one where you have to jump up, smash the tile, get the key, and then swim back with it and do a puzzle because puzzles are now mandatory on Survivor. But yeah, this is we call this the uh, Chet Welch Memorial. Well, challenge. You need you need you need the the swimmers. You need the uh, you need the uh, you need the key master. I think is what <laughs> yes, 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 the key yes, master. We need, we need we'll, Gozer. We'll, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's always the thing. Like the key master will open the 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 five locks, and then the puzzle masters will put the puzzle together. You're like, oh, okay, slow down, slow down. <laughs> yeah, so each tribe picks five swimmers, and and inexplicably they pick Chet. I think because Chet or the fan says, "I'm a good swimmer." And he's, uh-huh. He volunteers for it, correct? He's a much better swimmer than he is a key handler. I don't buy that. <laughs> yeah, he's no key master. Yeah, okay. So we get this one where. 
where uh, clearly you have. But wait, wait, wait! Wasn't but wasn't James the key master for the uh, for the favorites tribe? Yeah, I guess James yeah. might have fit yeah, into that he category. Didn't swim. Yeah, like he's not a great swimmer, and he also, even though he'll get triumphant in a couple of episodes, he apparently <laughs> is not valuing himself on his puzzle skills to solve a map of Micronesia as of yet. <laughs> well, the, in fairness, he's probably unlocked a lot of crypts in his day, and they take keys, so he's probably at least used to opening things. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, so we get to this challenge where one side has Chet and one side has Ozzy. So it's pretty easy to guess who's going to win this challenge. Yeah, it, it's it's not close. And and basically what happens is, is that when Chet gets up there, he's like second or third to go for the uh, uh, for the fans tribe. He he gets up there well enough. He he smashes the tile and 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 it gets the key down, which, you know, and in, in, in other things that that's that's an accomplishment. But. In these ones, you know, and you could see it in in other seasons where they do similar challenges. The the keys or whatever is that that they're smashing down is like on a on a flotation buoy. These ones aren't because they're kind of going through pretty clear, not super deep water, right? So they sink to the bottom. So like when you smash your your key and it goes down, you have to sort of dive down a little bit to get it. And that's where Chet's problem comes in yeah. is that he cannot dive down to retrieve the key. He smashes the key, but he can't get it. And, uh, you know, he gets some great encouragement from his tribe when he's out there in the water. You grub key, they, Chet! <laughs> Joel really says, lift him up. The season's all about empowering Chet. <laughs> Joel literally gives, like, the worst advice ever when he's just like, Yeah, Chet, you just gotta go down and get it, bro. You dive down, grab key, come back, me do puzzle. Good, Chet. <laughs> Um, kinda, I mean, it, you, you say Chet suffers from diving down. I feel like Chet suffered from the beginning with his dives in general. We'll get, I think, more <laughs> gifts of this, but Chet, like, not necessarily diving as much as walking off the platform with his arms stretched out. Oh, well, there's that. It's funny because you'd think if there's one thing Chet would be good at, it would be sinking helplessly to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Joel's advice to him was just, it just <laughs> killed me. It's literally like, you ever like been on a boat where like people are trying to wakeboard or like get up on water skis or something like that, and they're having a hard time? And there's always that one person boat that's just like, "Hey, just just try to stand up, okay?" <laughs> yeah, that's 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 literally what I've been trying to do. Thank thank you, you know. And, 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 and like Chet can't dive down and get the t- key, and Joel's just basically like, "Chet, you just gotta dive down and get the key, okay?" It's like, "Oh, it was that? Is that what? I, oh." There's a quote in the movie Meatballs where Bill Murray is giving advice to his uh, campers on how to do the Olympiad, and he tells the high jumper, try to jump very, very high, which yeah. there you go. That's the same advice. Yeah, I mean, Mary gives a location, but it's it's the whole thing where, like, Chet down. Chet treads water. He doesn't dive down. He's, he's not coming in. It's like he either needed to get it right away or he needed to, you know, get to shore and so someone else can go get it, which still is time-consuming. But, I mean, basically the favorites tribe just walks away with it. Yeah. And 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 Chet walks back so slow. Chet just like meanders. He's in no hurry to get back. And we'll see in, in actually these next few episodes that even with the first episode, we saw that these challengers are not very neck and neck at all. It's always going to be either the fans or the favorites take a commanding lead to start the challenge and they never look back. And we see it here where the fans barely finish the swimming portion of the challenge by the time the favorites have already solved the puzzle. Yeah. yeah, Not close. Good job, Chet. GG. Yeah, GG, Chet. <laughs> well played or, or yeah. not, but you know. So this is a combo reward challenge, immunity challenge. The favorites win it. The favorites get the immunity idol, which is... It looks like a little creature with these giant eyes. 
So it might as well be the immunity Eliza, because it basically looks like Eliza. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, so the favorites win this one. When, and, in, uh, when in Palau. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. That's what Palau, the Palauans have this, I guess, this mystical culture where they always appropriate an immunity idol that looks like a contestant from that season. <laughs> They should have made one with implants just to fool Kathy. Just to—it's an immunity, Tracy. Imagine her just yeah. having a conversation with the idol for like hours at a time. Like, I don't think she knows that's not a person. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that's something just to to note as well. Survivor Micronesia. This is this is filmed in Palau, like pretty much the same location as Survivor Palau. So, in case you didn't know, this is sort of the a, a redress of of where we've been before. You can still see Bobby John's blood on some of the challenges. <laughs> And, and Oolong still loses. You know, like, yes. Chat beats Oolong. That, <laughs> that's, what you did, that, that's what you didn't see. It wasn't a two-tribe season. It actually was third, but it, Oolong yeah. was there. They just lose. So, you know, <laughs> they just decided to not show them. They were just off camera to the right. You just missed them. Don't, don't worry. Oolong's still losing. But it's, once, it's once it went into HD and it went widescreen, then they, <laughs> they, they cut in the footage again with Oolong. Well, see, I knew we were going to get fan favorite Jeff Wilson on there somehow. Exactly. But he rolls over a, a coconut that's being tossed into a net in the third episode. <laughs> well, sir, I cannot take another one of your coconut rollovers. <laughs> I need you with both ankles. <laughs> that would be funny if they're in the middle of a challenge. You see Bobby John spazzing in the middle of the shot. It comes flying into the, into the ocean. It's <laughs> just like, oh, whoa, where did you come from, Bobby John? <laughs> <laughs> all right so the favorites win and they get to pick someone of the fans to send to exile island and they pick kathy probably because she's already close to breaking down and they, they're just being mean and then uh the twist jeff reveals is that you also have to send one of your own people to exile island and they are going to send sari and this is going to set up one of my favorite <laughs> scenes in this season <laughs> it's it's good and they pick sari uh, you know i, I you know, you could see that, you know, they talk about it and they're being nice about it. But Suri also is, you know, the one person not in, you know, a, a loose four alliance. I guess, you know, you guys made the case that it's not so set in stone. But literally, there's a four and a four and Suri's kind of in the middle. And Suri's just like, yeah, I'll go. And so she goes. And maybe and she, maybe she get... wants to also jump at the opportunity because she'll bring it up. I believe she was one of like the only people, maybe like aside from Shane in the Exile Island final group of people to not actually go to Exile Island. Yeah. So once it was available again, she might have, I wouldn't say jumped at the opportunity, but she'd be like, hey, it'd be a fun time to actually experience it. Little did she know how much uh, cardio was going to be involved in her trip. <laughs> yeah, this is a great scene. Even people who haven't watched this season in a while probably remember this one. And again, I wrote about this one extensively. This is the scene where Suri and Kathy go looking for the immunity idol in Exile Island, which requires them to swim across the ocean at least four different times. And Ceri, surprisingly, is not a fan of swimming across the ocean repeatedly. Yeah, so they get a clue, and the clue basically points to a place that's across the little ocean inlet that they are right by. So then is like, so we had to go across the ocean to get a clue. And then they get to that clue, and the clue's like, yeah, go to this place. And they realize that it's back where they came from. So then Suri's like, we had to go back across the ocean. But I love the, just the, like, the, the, I wouldn't say small amount of anger, but like, just the small amount of fury. She's usually not an angry woman. We're going to see her a lot angrier in the next episode, but just her delivery of like, back across the ocean with that point is just <laughs> so fantastic. And especially because clue number three points them where, but back across the ocean. <laughs> It's great like when she, she gets like tired by the end of it. She can't even like have have enough energy to really like you know enunciate like she is at the beginning of this uh, this yeah. confessional. 
And there's a great moment where they get the clue number four, and she reads it. It says back across the ocean. And she gets mad and she kicks the clue. <laughs> yeah, she pulls a Gandhi and like kicks a tree branch too. <laughs> I was waiting for her to start barking during a challenge. <laughs> yeah, one of my all-time favorite Suri moments. Again, if you weren't a Suri fan before that scene, you would be afterward. That's one of her greatest scenes ever. Suri and they never do find the clue. They get so tired. They actually get to where the idol is. They just don't have the energy to search for it anymore, and they kind of give up. And we'll find out later when Ozzy grabs it. Yeah, like they're so close, but they just don't. I guess they cut the scene where. I was gonna say I guess they cut the scene where Kathy mentions that Suri is the first black person she's ever met. (sighs) Did you now? Do do it's not like you want to be white, right? Oh my lord! (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> Kathy! I got to mute. I'm going to distract you guys. Oh, Ka- Kathy! Like you know, as well. This this is such a I guess with the Kathy dirt moments. Like they get so close to finding the idol this first time, and I mean, spoiler alert: Kathy's going to go to Exile Island an awful lot in the next couple days, and it seems like she gets no closer, even though she's like right to the end. Mm-hmm. No, she. It's this is like, this is this is what sa- this experience sours her. She even says in episode four when she goes with Ozzy, like, "Yeah, I sort of just gave up on doing it. I said, been there, done that. I didn't really want to do it anymore." And you're sitting there going, like, you realize at the end of this rainbow, there is a hidden immunity idol, right? And it's like they're like so close. They've gone through four clues, and she's like, "Yeah, four's good. Four's enough." And it's like, <laughs> but. But, but there's an idol like like keep going you know and, and, and also you, you you don't need to do the rigmarole of going and, I, and we'll talk about this in episode three of like why did she not tell amy that they already did the clues like you know the general area where it is you don't need to put up the charade of going across the ocean four times you could just say hey this is where we left off it's in this area it's gonna take way less effort to do that than to be like oh no we didn't get to this clue i guess we better swim across the ocean again this is the point that I remind everyone that Kathy was off her meds during the season, so we cannot really trust any of her judgment. Well, I just oh love this, like like Jay alluded to, that this is not going to be the first time we see Kathy at Exile Island. Something that I think is great about this season is these little storylines that happen pre-merge that continue on through episodes. The fact that we get more of Kathy at Exile Island and how we, we kind of reference back to her experiences here, you know, where she's playing done with Amy and she just doesn't even try with Ozzy and things like that. I think there's some really fun... Um, arcs that happen over several episodes in this pre-merge. Yeah, no, absolutely, they are great character scenes, and I. It is one thing I appreciate about Micronesia. Like, I don't like extended idol hunts. That's one of those things that drives me crazy in seasons. But the ones in Micronesia are kind of two people bonding that are forced to work together. So it's kind of a character scene too. So I do actually. It's one of the things I think Micronesia does very well. Yep. So, and we also get you know Kathy is you know a fan of the show, so she was nice to see Siri. But then we get back to uh, uh, we get back to the fans tribe, and they're talking about the vote that's going to happen. And this is where we get uh, we get Mikey B doing Mikey B things. Why you split votes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those who don't remember, basically the the target is going to be Chet. You have seven people who want to vote out Chet, but Mikey B starts bringing up, well, you know, Kathy has that idol she got at the first tribe or the first challenge. Plus, she might get an idol out on Exile Island. She could start handing these idols out to her friends. We might as well start splitting the vote, which is not an entirely unrealistic idea. I mean, it's not a bad idea, but people take offense to the fact that he's steering how they're going to play this. Well, especially Joel. I mean, and that, and that's the whole thing is that Mikey B comes up with this, and that that's Mikey B's downfall because because Mikey B's trying to come up with 
the votes here, but Joel wants to be the leader, the alpha, right? So Mikey B comes up with the plan. Hey, you know, four of us are going to vote for uh, Chet and three of us will vote for Tracy. And then, you know, those three will vote together. And so if no idol is played, then, then Chet goes home. And then if an idol is played, then we've got a tie and we can all vote out the other person and all that sort of stuff. So Mikey B's got this plan and Joel's just like, me no like Mikey B. I also like Joel's look of having like the palm fronds sticking out of his hat. (laughs) Yeah, it is a great look. They just randomly cut to him and he's got these things sticking out like he's the Statue of Liberty all of a sudden. Give me your tired, your poor. (laughs) Before we get too far into this, I forgot. I I just skipped over this in my notes. This is also, there's a little little quick scene in here that reveals my mini gene this season. There is someone on the show that is a min- not quite at gene levels, but every time this person's on the screen and this person talks, I just get annoyed. And it's not justifiable, and people will watch and say why, but this little scene after the challenge, they come back, and you have Alexis there. They're going, good job. You know, we did- everyone did a great job. We lost. Let's clap, guys. Come on. I'm like, shut up, Alexis. <laughs> you know what's funny? You told me you had a gene this season. And I realized I had a gene as well, and it's the same person. We're actually on the same page on this yes, one. Wait. Yeah, Alexis is annoying. <laughs> Guys, I am heartbroken. Admittedly, I am definitely, you know, we're, we're past the season being like 10 years old at this point. But I'll admit, back within Saturday in spring of 2008, I had an inexplicable survivor crush on Alexis Jones. So that crush has, you know, ver- very quickly mellowed out. But I still have some, some fondness in my heart for her. So I might well, have to do some sucks. Alexis defending. She's trying to cheer them up. They lost a challenge. She's a motivational speaker. That's what she does, Paul. She brings her work into her real life. Yeah, but she's the devil. Exactly, Mark. I will will weigh in here and side with Mike. What? There we go. 2v2. This is horse shit. This is like when uh, Tracy saw um, Johnny Fairplay wanted to puke. Kick him in the shins. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I like Alexis. Um, I, I, I mean, can't believe Alexis is dividing us. Is all the people to divide the Survivor historians. Alexis Jones <laughs> is the catalyst. Bros before hoes. Come on. No, Jones. Jones before bros. I like Alexis. Alexis is awesome. Um, you know, I, I awesome. Yeah. It's one thing to tolerate her, but awesome. Yeah, I think she's great. Oh God. I don't think she's like super gonna... great on the show. But in real life, I think she's pretty great. So, uh, you know, she doesn't really bother me. Oh, so I'm, gonna go I'm with... seeing a parallel here. In the real, in the game of life, Jean's the winner, just like Alexis. Aren't they just great? I'd say Alexis is a winner in life. I think she's great. You can't be awesome and not be a winner. Paul, you're just jealous because Alexis got to get in contact with Ozzy and you never did. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so anyway, so I hate anyway... to say it, but the kid from Montana has a good point here. So <laughs> all I'm going to say. Yeah, you are siding with the kid from Montana. So, Mikey B is got this vote split plan, and Joel doesn't like it. And so Joel is like, "I, I, I really need to, uh, I really need to break up Mikey B's power. I could vote Mikey B out, or I could just vote Mary out. Mary, who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah." Yeah, the source of an endless number of memes coming up here. Where, yeah, all of a sudden the vote switches to Mary. And uh, this is where Sleckman comes back from Exile Island and Joel pulls her aside and says, don't say a word. We're voting Mary. And Kathy's like, who? Mary. And Kathy's like, Mary. <laughs> they love her confessional. She's like, I'm like, where did Mary come from? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, if there's the whole thing on Survivor I, on the internet. I didn't start it. I just kind of reported it about how it's a running joke that no one seems to know who Mary is in Micronesia. Just do a Google search for Mary who, and you'll you'll see it. It's very funny. It's there's a very well done video that somebody made that I linked to in the funny one fifteen. And you would and you would think since Kathy has such a, a a radar towards people with 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 perhaps enhanced breasts that she does not close in on Mary. Oh, Mary was all natural. I can tell. Okay. Silence. Tumbleweeds. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Paul, what does Paul think about this? Um, right. no. Never mind. All right, yeah, so we go, uh, yeah, so now it's basically a power struggle between Joel and Mikey B. Mikey B is not aware of this, so that's going to be the big if at Tribal Council tonight. Will it all be Chet? Will the vote split happen? Or will Joel get his way and will Mikey B lose his girlfriend? So Mary. the boring people go to Tribal Council. They give really boring-ass answers right now. Mm-hmm. Right and now, the, the, their second tribal yeah. council before they go into the switch is definitely the more interesting one. Oh yeah, definitely. But right now they're just like, oh, it's nice. Although is it's not this one. It's Cisco. The next one, yeah. yeah but the, like, hold, hold on, Jeff. Take a seat. Yeah, hold on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This this is where I feel like that. That's where I feel like Jeff Jason Cisco finally realizes he's on a game show. But like, um, this one it's just like okay, blah blah blah, and then Mary gets blindsided, and Jeff's like. Your first vote out, your first blind side. Nice. And I'm sitting there going, like, it's Mary. Like, no one cares. Like, <laughs> now you're playing Survivor. You got rid of the power player, Mary. <laughs> At least she'll you find out- a um, long lasting Survivor marriage after this. Mary. I should point out that Joel doesn't actually vote for Mary. Did you catch that? He votes for Tracy. (laughs) Yeah. I think if I if I'm thinking of his thought process, he sets up his blind side and then specifically doesn't vote along with it, so he can't be take the blame for it later. So that there may actually been a thought process behind that. So when Mikey B gets mad, Joel could say, "Hey, I voted for Tracy. Don't yell at me." That's my that's my suspicion of what happened yeah, but there. Doesn't but he, doesn't, he, he then, yeah. doesn't he then piss off the people that he went to with a vote saying like, "Hey, can you vote with me?" Great, I'm also gonna throw a vote your way. Don't be mad. <laughs> yeah, well, it's Joel. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, th- again, we've seen ample evidence in the first two episodes that the that the that the fans tribe A won't win, B absolutely won't win, and C. They are perhaps the worst collection of people to ever play this game, and they're going to get teed off by the uh, the favorites tribe later on. Yeah, I love Probe's reaction when he hears that they have two separate shelters. You have the seven-person shelter and the three-person shelter. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, good job. <laughs> Although I should also point out there's a great shot in this episode, and I didn't know where it was from. I On the Funny 115, I have a picture of Jason Siska nodding smugly and smiling. Yes. And it came from this tribal council. So oh, I thought it was the one where in the next again this episode four tribal council is the gangbusters one where like Eric makes that metaphor of like if you keep running into a wall a hundred times that's not going to be a way to take down a wall and then Jason has that really douche nod like yeah he's right I don't know a word he said but he sounds assuring in it oh that, do- that, does, that doesn't seem like a good way to take down a wall <laughs> yeah. you're right maybe Jason does it twice anyway we lose Mary. I just imagine Jason's doing that to any comment that's ever said to him. <laughs> yeah. Jason, you have cancer. It's uh, it's very malignant. All right, gotcha. Uh huh. Kick ass. Will this interfere with my habitat at all? Um, uh, rip Mary. Um, Mary. GG. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't the, know. For the record, um, going into this. 
<laughs> the pre uh, the preseason thing. I don't think it was an official Jeff Probst cast, cast assessment yet, but in the TV guide preview, he gives some like insight into each one. He's like, <laughs> he goes, Mary. He's like, um, you know, I don't know how she's gonna do. He's like, I just don't have a read on her at all. So, I mean, most people, you know, I have an idea how they're gonna do. I have no idea how she's gonna do. So even Jeff it's never a good sign. Couldn't figure her Mary. out at all. Where did Mary come from? But at least all we know about her was that oh. I love Survivor. That's what she told us. So, <laughs> yeah, like a, I just, uh, aspiring Survivor fan, that Mary. Just as an inside joke on on the funny one fifteen, I have my Mary Who entry, and the running joke in the in the entry is that nobody knows who Mary is. And at several points during my entry, I post a picture of Mary, but it's always a picture of someone else. Like, I'll put Tracy there, and I'll put Mary as her name under the caption. And people get so furious when they read that entry for the first time. They're like, you never actually put Mary in there. That's infuriating. You're so stupid. I'm like, that's the joke of the entry, you morons. So that's just one of my little running jokes that I like. That Even in the Mary entry, there's not an actual picture of Mary anywhere in there. Well, speaking of people yelling at people calling them morons, let's talk about episode three. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think we can we can get episode three, and we'll run a little long, but uh, we, can we can do, do it. That's what she said. All right, let's go. So, episode three starts with Mikey B figuring out that Joel backstab him. They uh, confront each other back at camp. No, dude, that's Mikey... cool. I voted for Tracy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Mikey B, of course, we'll see this later with Brad Culpepper, but Mikey B says, Joel, you're aligning yourselves with girls and a kid, and I count Chet as a girl. So there you go. You get... He said that quote before Brad Culpepper said it. So Mikey B was a, the trailblazer. And then uh, Mikey starts talking to Joel. He guarantees you you're not going to get to the final four. He's like, uh, look, look at the people you're aligned with. They're never going to let you get that far. You made a mistake. And Joel's like, no, okay, well, we'll see. Yeah, so, no, so I guess you're never going to get to the final four. There's literally ten favorites on the other side. No, you're not. <laughs> well, like, and the question is, like, did Joel's plan succeed? Because his plan was, like, what, to, like, make Mikey realize that he's not in control of the tribe as he thinks he is. It didn't seem like that plan really succeeded here. He just got rid of his right-hand man, and instead he's just like, okay, well, I guess we're cool, right? Yeah, we're cool. Great. <laughs> you know, and, and it's the realization. Like, I get, you know, okay, he's, they see that, that Mikey B and, and Mary are kind of like a couple, right? And, I mean, we, we've sort of, Survivor, it's established now, like, you got to break up couples and stuff like that. So, so in, in a way, it works. But it's so funny because, like, Joel's like, I don't like the way Mikey B is running things. I'm going to vote out Mary, which, you know, sometimes indirect voting works and all that sort of stuff. But I love that, you know, and I know I'm jumping the gun one episode, but literally, like, he's talking to the other people and, and they're like, why are you letting Mikey B run the show? You should vote him out. And he's just like, he almost like has like this wheel, hamster wheel, like turning his head. He's like, I, I can do that. I could vote Mikey <laughs> out. Like, that's a thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah, Tracy mind fucks him pretty good later. <laughs> you know, he's like, oh, I can just vote Mikey out, and then all my problems are solved. You know? That's and right, like, then there's no Mikey. And then there's no Mikey. Like, probably should have done that episode, too. But all right. You well, know, Mike, let, Mikey let's... was a fan. Oh, no, I was just saying, if, if Joel was a fan and Mikey was a, or Mike was a fan and Joel was a recruit, he could have just pulled him aside the first day. He's like, all right, I'm not going to, I'm going to only tell you this, but I have a special immunity idol that can be played on only me and last for the entire game where you can never <laughs> vote for me. <laughs> That would have worked on Siska. You should have told him that. Oh, dude. That's <laughs> right, awesome. Right on. Right on. <laughs> right, I'll trade, right on. I'll I mean, trade I... it to you for these handful of magic beans. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know they're magic? Just just trust me, dude. It's got a smiley face on it. 
All right. Uh, so yeah, so we're gonna we have the the storyline here is Joel versus Mikey B on the fans, and we go to the favorites and the favorites. The, it's still four v four, and they're all trying to get the swing vote in the middle. And what we start here is where the uh, the couples alliance, for lack of a better word, is uh, trying to draw Eliza in. They want Eliza in their five some, which is hilarious because. Every time Parvati talks, Eliza rolls her eyes. And it's it's one of the running jokes in this season if you watch for it. Eliza is clearly not a fan of Parvati. <clears throat> so we have that. We have them working on Eliza. We have both sides working on Sari. That's the big thing on this. We're just kind of waiting to, for this for next tribal council to see which way the power structure in the favorites is going to go. And we, one, and thing we ha- one thing we haven't mentioned here, and this scene just highlights it really perfectly, it's so funny that they're back in Palau and they're on the Karor and Oolong beaches and that you clearly, like, can just take a flashback back to the Oolong camp about how sometimes they're on the beach and sometimes on their cave. So the scene starts off, they're down on the beach, you know, where Oolong initially made that camp back in Palau. And then you see Eliza go back up to the cave to talk to the other people, which is the Oolong cave. So it's kind of funny as a survivor historian to look back and see those exact same uh, camp settings. And that bonfire beach has a lot of putting sticks in the fire. So it really is a Palau flashback. <laughs> Karen just watching at home getting all pissed. Or wait, I guess Tom would be the one getting pissed. Karen would be the one longing to do it. Oh my god, Ozzy! <laughs> we get to film all our confessionals in the cave. Hell yeah. Mark it down. Alright, so episode three, the reward challenge. This is a fun one. This is one of the signature challenges in Micronesia. This is one where uh, they get to pick three rewards from a catalog. Used to be the old Target Challenge or Sears Challenge, if I recall. I forget what it is now. But and then they dress in war paint and they just basically go and beat the shit out of each other in the middle in the middle of a big pit in the Man, water. I love the war paint too, because uh, you also get to see a little bit of people's personalities. Like Natalie Bolton fancies herself a kabuki artist, and uh, mm-hmm. Eric rocks a little bit of blackface. <laughs> he did. I forgot about the blackface. Yeah, and then we have a uh, Siska. I love Siska with a rib cage. I think that looks pretty cool. And yeah, the skull, Joel the skull had like. <laughs> Joel had like the 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 nice little motif going on in his face, but I almost feel like with him it was basically like, all right, Joel, uh, that's pretty cool. You can wipe off your 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 makeup now. What makeup? <laughs> no, this is the blood of my opponents. This is me. And then you know, and then he, and then he says like one of the most very American quotes I think has ever said, where he's just basically like, I don't know about you, but uh, if someone comes into my house against and, and I didn't invite them, I'm gonna freaking kill him. I got guns. And you're like, oh, yeah, well, America. <laughs> I also, I also well, love the uh, the dueling Gene Simmons between Ozzy and Jonathan on the Favorites Tribe. <laughs> For some reason, war paint means stick your tongue out, apparently. <laughs> well, they have to come up with a little chant, too, right? Yeah, malakal, little... malakal, malakal. <laughs> That's very creative. That's also a kiss lyric, if I recall. Well, I believe the Iri one is the seven people have one chant and the other three have another one. <laughs> they just do them <laughs> next to each other. That's awesome. Or Kathy's and they're is, all bag- Kathy's is yeah. who's got tits? She's got tits. I think it collectively just uh, sounds like we surrender. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're all saying, God damn it, Eliza. <laughs> How come have we gone three episodes and not a single Eliza joke ruining everything yet? Well, she hasn't, got, she hasn't, got, she hasn't gotten, gotten sick yet. That's really when the blame <laughs> Eliza heaping comes. Oh, Chad, you're gonna die. <laughs> so anyway, um, this is a this is a, a a fun take on the beat the crap out of each other with bags challenge. It's not the sumo knock someone off. It's basically like a mini football field where they've got like 
uh, end zones, and then there's basically these big heavy bags, which are basically, I think, the modified... It almost seems like they're the modified things that you use in the sumo challenges, but it's like um, there's a bunch of bags, and then you have to basically just get them, and you have to have five successfully, or like uh, five at one time in your end zone, which is basically then it just turns into a big kill the guy with the ball sort of thing. Yeah, this I was watching this and I just wrote on my notes, this whole challenge seems like a really bad idea. Yeah, like it seems yeah I'm surprised. Really... Like, wait, so the challenge two episodes from now is going to get everyone hurt and this one doesn't somehow? Yeah, this is, this is the point in Survivor. I've kind of forgotten how many of these really brutal challenges we've had up to this point, but we're going to start getting some super brutal challenges that are almost guaranteed to end an injury, and this is a good example of that. This, there's no way they should be allowed to do this. this is, there's no point to this challenge other than hurt each other. Survivor doesn't do that as much anymore, do they? Now, post Schmergen Brawl, they don't really do that anymore. Yeah, I mean, God, there there was that stretch in those middle years of Survivor where they just, once a season, they just had a, we're just going to let you guys just kill each other in, a, in an arena-type setting. Well, yeah, and you can watch in this challenge, there's at least two shots of people running into each other face first, where their faces hit. <laughs> then you've got uh, Eric body slamming Amanda face first into the ground. At one point, Eric hits uh, Eliza in the head with the, with the bag. Eliza's yeah. poor head. She's going to need, like, Johnny Fairplay's supply of painkillers by the end of this season, because her head has taken a beating the past week. Yeah. God it, damn it, Eliza, you broke the bag. <laughs> It doesn't even seem like that bad of a hit, but you know it yeah. kind of is because it's like just defenseless. Yeah. Like she's hanging on to him and he's going to the end zone. He just literally like swipes her off with the bag into the head. He just literally just takes the bag. It's like, get off me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then Eric body slamming Amanda is the worst. I mean, she could have come down right on her neck if you watch that again. That was horrible. Like, guys should not be body slamming girls. Like, I don't the, care. If, if the Even water, if Survivor said, yeah, go ahead. If the water was deep enough, it would make sense. But again, like, they're like, what, like, ankle deep in water? This is yeah. very, very shallow. Yeah, that's how people dive into swimming pools and break their neck, that move right there. So, yeah, it's horrible. It's like, although I should point out at the start of the challenge, we have the great moment where the favorites see who was voted out and Eliza goes, Mary. <laughs> So, keeping up with that. But yeah, this whole challenge is a bad idea. Alexis keeps getting her head smashed. Uh, Eliza. Yeah, it's just it's just a I love those Alexis head smashes. Hey. Yeah, they, were, they were pretty satisfying. I also love James just being James. There's at one point where he's like a bowling ball and just knocks a whole crowd of people over. And at one point he just drags three people around into the end zone. Yeah. There's also like where uh, Eric upends Amanda. I think, and then James just like because James was basically on like defense mode inside the uh, the end zone, and he just is like, nah, no, and he gets up and goes after Eric, just bulldozes yeah. him. Go after the kid wearing the black face. That's a good move. Yeah, I think he had him targeted from the very beginning. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so and the favorites win this one, even though the fans have Joel, and Joel is going to kill anybody who comes and takes his his, his family. Uh, the favorites win this one pretty handily at the end, five to one. Yeah, and it's not close. Yeah, they win the reward. They win the three items from the catalog. One of them's like a survival kit. I don't know. They never yeah, mentioned it. No, again. no bread and peanut butter being chosen. So you can tell these people have played Survivor before. Yeah. <laughs> and the favorites, yeah. favorites get to send someone to Exile Island, and they pick Sleckman again. Let's pick the crazy woman. Let's crack her. And so then, then uh, they choose yeah, Amy to go. Amy, yeah, Kathy and Amy go this time. So then, so then we um. <sighs> So so uh, let's do the Exile Island thing before we go back to the camps and sort of stuff. So then it's this whole thing where, like, Amy's there, but Kathy has already been to Exile Island. So then Amy is now getting the clues to the hidden immunity idol. 
And instead, like you guys said, instead of Sleckman just saying like, okay, we got to clue four and it was around here. Or, or let me go show you clue four. Like not even, not even like, let's go solve it. It's just, let's go straight to clue four. Like, Sleckman just follows Amy while Amy is figuring out the clues, and it's like Kathy's like half paying attention and half just going along. And it was like, what was your thought process here? Like, I understand the whole like, hey, don't give everything away, don't know that you know, but it's like, at some point, Amy must have just turned to her and been like, did you guys attempt this at least? Like, you've been here. This seems like you would have done this first. Yeah, and she Again, looks so bored the whole time. <laughs> yeah, Sleckman's off her meds and crazy. Let's always factor that into all decisions. Well, Kathy might be distracted. She's just met twice as many gay people in the past week than she met <laughs> yeah. in her entire lifetime. <laughs> wow. You just not want to be a guy? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, you know, and Amy's just like, okay, so I think they're they're talking about this this thing over there. And Kathy's like, yeah, yeah, all right. Okay, whatever you want. And it, ultimately, they get to, like, Clue 4, and then Amy's, like, looking, and Kathy's like, yeah, Clue 4, it's, like, right around where the idol should be. <laughs> I don't need to look any further. I'm yeah, good. Uh, I think Suri kicked that one. Yeah. Look for the one with Suri's footprint on it. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. But, yeah. yeah. So well, then we get... Yeah, go ahead. It is one of the few scenes that we get this season with Amy in it, so I guess we should give That's it some... true, a very prized Amy scene. They're very yeah. rare. Yeah, <laughs> very rare. So, one of the rare Amy scenes. We also, though, when we get to um, when we get to the the favorites tribe, we basically get uh, a conversation on a boat with uh, uh, with Sari and Amanda and Parvati. Oh, I got to set this one up. This is great. This is something I never noticed before. It's a little editor's joke. Did you guys catch it in this one? Where Sari is saying, you know, these four people on either side are all trying to woo me, and she's like. But they're not really doing enough. She's like, yeah. you think they'd be washing my clothes? They'd be. I should be be carrying around on a little, one of those old chariot things. And they cut. And the very next scene, it looks like Amanda and Parvati have Suri on a chariot. Yeah, because because cool, she's sitting. Yeah, she's sitting in the middle of the boat, and Parvati and yeah. Amanda are flanking her. They're ferrying her around. It's exact. It's a perfect editor's joke I never caught before. Mm-hmm. I should be on one of those chariot things. Cut to her on a chariot being wooed by Amanda and Parvati. I mean, if that's not going to give away where the season's going. I don't know. You know, it, it, and it's a great sort of thing where, like, Amanda and Parvati are talking to Sari, just basically like, hey, man, you know, we're here with you, and we've got Ozzy, and we've got James, and, you know, they're sort of like our puppy dogs and stuff like that. And, you know, you see on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, on the shore, you know, there's Penner and, and Eliza, and Eliza's like, you know, hey, I, I, she needs to be reassured like me. And Penner's like, let's reassure her then. And Eliza's like, they could be filling her head with all that kind of poison. And it's like, you know, Amanda and Parvati are on there basically saying, yeah, it's, it could be the three of us. And Sri's like, that's fine with me. And, yeah, and in, in their defense, I will say Amanda and Parvati make excellent arguments here. Very logical oh, yeah. that, yeah. yeah, Parvati's like, I'm not taking James to the final two. He'd kill me. And Amanda's like, I'm not taking Ozzy to the final two. He'd kill me. So, I mean, that makes sense to Sri. So I, I totally think they that was an excellent scene for the three of them. You bring up poison, Jay, and I want to take this moment to also talk about there is some like animal symbology that occurs sometimes in Survivor, but the Black Widow, the spider symbology, is so prevalent in this season, and it even starts like this episode. You talked about poison. There's going to be a point later on in the episode, I think, where James and Parvati are talking, and James is like, oh, well, we got to make sure that they can't get rid of you, and it cuts to a spider like spinning a butterfly in its web. Obviously, mm-hmm. the Black Widow Brigade is going to form, but I had forgotten like how prevalent the cuts to the spider is going to be every time Amanda Sari or Parvati does something somewhat diabolical. Yeah, I do have to say in the Black Widow's defense, I live in California. We have hundreds of Black Widows around our yard at all times. I see them all the time. Those 
spiders they use in the cutaways are not black widows. So it's a nice try by the editors. But when they start saying the black widow brigade, those are not black widows. Jay can back me up. He's seen as black widows. Southern I California. Black, I have seen black widows. They a uh, bat rap, I would say. They're black lazy. Spider. They don't move. Yeah, They're the they least scary spiders they ever. Literally, they literally don't move. I mean, I guess if, if you, like, put your hand up there and basically, like, poke it a million times, it'll be like, I guess I'll bite you and kill you. But, you know, geez, that seems like a lot of work. There you go. So, a little trivia for you non-Southern California. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's funny because this is the scene. This is this is our final three. These people. And it's like, I don't I can't tell you, like, when I watched it live the first time that I that I caught that. Like, well, yeah, I guess this is the final three. You know what I mean? But but. There it is. It's right there. And again, yeah, I got to give Parvati and Amanda credit. They totally woo Serene with the logic that works. Well, in this, they they woo her in with the logic that works. And also later on in this episode, as we're going to talk about later, we're going to talk about the relative gameplay, at least in this season. But I would say at all, not only of, of Amanda and Parvati, which is not bad, but also the gameplay of Jonathan Penner, which is not great. Nope, so. not at all. I'm in the Sari versus Jonathan schism. I am definitely Team Sari, especially after rewatching these couple of episodes. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> Jonathan is not even nervous about this. Eliza brings up the fact to him he's not nervous about Sari at all. Not at all. All right, so where are we? We uh, we, we got finally Suri's been wooed in. We, we get our we get our typical. Sometimes we get these on like Survivor seasons, especially when it's like returning players versus new players. Where like the fans really don't have a storyline this episode outside of them just being miserable. So we get like the oh they slept through the storm and Joel has oh, really pruny white pruny hands the next day yeah. and they're really suffering, which of course is leading directly into them winning. Yeah, well it's got Alexa shivering because she's in, in so much misery, which Paul must love. Oh, yes. Okay. Sorry to cut you off guard there. You're probably eating or something. Oh, All right. yes. <laughs> I just... Th- I got that a little was, soundboard. That, that was like the one of the two the, the two things, though, that struck me about this episode. I think we talked about it was the, the, the setup of the final three with Amanda and Parvati and Sari. And also just the fact that, like, Sleckman refused to, like, find the idol. Like... <laughs> That's literally, it's like the, the Harlem Globetrotters with the watch. The ball is spinning on his finger. Just, just reach out ball. and just, just take it. And she's just like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. good, but I'm not. I'm good. Yeah. All right. Episode three immunity challenge. This is one where the, the Jonathan Penner special where you're holding the net up and everyone else is trying to throw coconuts up into it. The, the we'll see Shepherd, this one later. The yeah. Philip Shepard <laughs> Memorial Challenge. Yeah, yeah the Philip Shepard Kunta Kinte Challenge later down the road. Yeah, yes. so... uh is this the first uh, instance of this challenge? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. I so. Yeah, I think okay. so. And so to set it up, basically each tribe has set four people and they're holding up a net and the net is empty and they're holding it up by ropes. And basically everyone else in the tribe is going to one by one go up and they're going to throw coconuts into the opponent's net, basically to weigh it down. And it's 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 sort of a, a, a derivation of the early challenges where they put weight on the people and they're literally holding up the weight. Uh, like barbells, I guess, uh, sort of thing. Uh, but in this one, it's just a, a bag of coconuts, and it just it gets fun because like the eventually the fans are going to win this challenge, and it's like they jump out to an early lead. But then you get the fun thing where Penner is doing the Philip thing, where like the fans are going up to shoot their shot, and and he's 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 psyching them out. He's saying things just as they're about to shoot. He's you know, get talking some talking some trash basically. All right, so so if we can read out some of Penner's best psych outs, we have uh, the always classic Mikey B, Mikey B, 
Uh, we have uh, Come On Kathy, Let's Show It How It's Done in, Miss- in Wisconsin, which is a little bit on the lamer side. I, my favorite is uh, Come On Chet, You're at the Pageant, and Chet! I love that he uses <laughs> Chet's own name to try to psych himself out. And of course, there is the nice shot there, squirrely boy. <laughs> Well, he's not always trash talking. At one point, he tells Alexis, "Hey, you're good at this." Like he's yeah. he's just commenting to every single person. It's it's basically a variant of a uh, Joe Cooper in basketball, where yep, you have the exactly. psych out. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it isn't. Yeah, it's not trash talk. I don't think is the right uh, thing because you're right, Mike. It's it's pretty lame and tame. But you know, it's it's really just the the saying something just as they're about to shoot. Just the you can even just do the ah or uh, but you know he's saying their name. Or, I you heard know. you're hanging out with Squeak. <laughs> Kunta Kinte. <laughs> oh boy, we're the only podcast around that references basketball. I'm proud to say that. What All right, move. so yeah, yeah. So the the uh, fans win win this one pretty handily, and surprisingly, they have some pretty good coconut tossers, which I know sounds like a the euphemism for something. But the I'm coconut sure tossers was in that movie. <laughs> Jeez, Mikey B killing me today. Not the same guy. <laughs> yeah, the, so the star coconut tossers are Jason, uh, Mikey B, Alexis, and Chet. For some reason, Chet's really good at this. Yeah, Mikey B, you uh, cracked up Mario on this podcast. You're going to have to add another check mark to your tattoo little set there. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're good. That was nice. Why did we hire him? For my foley, my foley work alone got me onto this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> some kind of affirmative action thing. All right. So anyway, uh, so the fans win this one pretty handily. Uh, Penner drops the coconut net, and the favorites are going to go to tribal council. And this is really the key vote of the season here: who's going to yeah. take control, either the couples alliance or Jonathan Penner and his misfits. Yeah. And so yeah, the- vote's going to come down to Yao Man or Parvati tonight. Well, it's very, kind of. it's very. <laughs> I mean, but it's important in the sense that the winner is going to come from the favorites. I mean, the fans have no shot. So it's like whoever gets in the driver's seat coming out of the favorites tribe, this is important stuff. <laughs> I love that you say the winner is going to come from the favorites tribe. Yet after this vote, the fans will be up then nine to eight. <laughs> yeah, we just know it doesn't matter. The the, none of this matters. Yeah. The, re- but the reason why I say kind of is because the intrigue isn't necessarily like who's voting for who. It's that Sari is telling the Couples Alliance, okay, let's go for Yao Man, because we didn't bring it up, but Sari is gunning for Yao because she's nervous about the idea of next time he goes to exile, we know he's getting that idol. Again, I don't know if Yao Man was in like the rotation to go next time to Exile Island, but she was afraid that once he gets momentum and finds an idol, he's gone. Nobody else is really targeting Yao Man. Instead, Ozzy in particular is really gunning for Eliza. And so the, the possible schism that develops is, okay, if Sari is trying to vote out Yao and the rest are trying to vote out Eliza, there's a chance that Jonathan's outcast alliance could sort of slither the way they were in there with a four-vote plurality to get rid of somebody like Parvati. And let's be honest here, Yao Man is not a particularly good player the way he plays this. There's a scene where, you know, Penner is cornering Suri, and he's going, Suri, you can't go with them, they're a bunch of couples. And Suri's like, but you have you and Yao Man, that's the same thing. And Yao Man's like, but there's only two of us. So he basically backs up her point. Yes, we're a we're, couple, but it's only two of us. And Penner's like, shut up, Yao, shut up. Weren't so. you supposed to uh, coach him through this, Mario? Isn't this your fault? If, if only Yao fault. Man had talked to somebody about strategies before going out there. If only. I, he should have been aligned with Amanda and Parvati. I don't know how he didn't see that. Don't align with Penner, but yeah. Although, I will say, Surya is very astute for wanting to get him out. 
because he is dangerous the more he slides forward into the game because he's so clever and unthreatening and you know he's going to be doing stuff with idols so yeah i give sari full credit while at the same time hating the fact that sari is so good at targeting characters who are going to be fun and getting rid of them just because they're going to be good yeah it, is, damn it, it, is, sari. it is heartbreaking at the idea that sari is the one directly responsible for getting rid of yao man because it's one of those things that going to the season you're like oh man i can't wait to see sari and yao man work together and admittedly yeah. you know as much as you might like james and ozzy i feel like looking at those two big alliances you're like oh i'm much more like the alliance of jonathan penner yao man eliza and amy over these two randos and two big fan favorites sari damn you for supporting them yeah and that's i know sari is a beloved character no one ever says a bad thing about her that's always my criticism of her like it just seems like she makes the season less good when she's around because she votes out the characters who are going to be fun She's so smart and good and astute of getting knowing who to get rid of. It's inevitably someone who I wanted to see on TV. So that's my argument with Suri, but it's not really her fault. No. I mean, you know, she wants to make it boring. She wants to make it, you know, so that she can be in control of such things. This episode in particular shows, again, we, we alluded to before, how not great at the game Jonathan Penner is. Also, Ozzy, not yeah. really a surprise, but, it, you know, it's that whole thing where, like, Ozzy was like, well, I'm voting Eliza and I'm not changing my vote. And it's like, dude, you're you're in this voting block. Like, <laughs> seriously, we're all going to vote for Yao Man. Yeah, but I'm going to vote Eliza. It's like, oh, my. OK, OK. We're going to talk a lot more about Ozzy in this season, obviously, as, as the episodes go on. But this is interesting in that Ozzy definitely seemed like a player in the I2 Alliance in Cook Islands. But it very much seemed like Yule and arguably Becky were the ones that were leading the thing strategically. Now we get to see what Ozzy does when he plays strategically, and it's uh, it's not great. It's not great at all. <laughs> yeah, Ozzy is very much a straightforward, just basically, basically thinks of himself player. He's, it's hard to, for him to work with others. What do yeah. you guys make of Sari pushing it so hard during this episode strategically? Probably because well, I, well, she was getting pushed too. I mean, I think she was just snapping back. Yeah, it's interesting that, like, again, we didn't, in, in spite of being on a tribe with people like Courtney and Shane and Danielle last time, we didn't see Suri really raise her temper that all, but uh, she really does this episode, and maybe it's because you have Penner, like, Penner, I don't know if you guys noticed, like, she he tries to, like, grab her hand at one point to try to calm her down, and she's getting really flustered by it, but maybe it's sort of a thing of, like, she's adamant to get rid of Yao Man. She knows, as you mentioned, Mario, that, like, if Yao Man slides by with this vote, there's a good chance he could definitely, like, make his way to the end. So this is really, in her opinion, the only chance to get him. And she's just frustrated that everyone else is like, nope, let's go for Eliza. And she's just like, no, you guys don't realize what's going to happen. And yeah, just like we talked about with Flare Play, who could imagine what would have happened if Yao Man stayed? Because if Yao Man makes that switch and things get jumbled up, then, you know, there's a good possibility if he stays on iRai, he makes the merge, and then who knows what happens from there. Yeah. To, to back up what you're saying, Paul, I think your question is, do you think Saria is actually playing well with how forceful she's being? And I I think I'm agreeing with what you're getting at. I don't think it was the best move for her to go in there and throw her weight around. Like, they could have easily just turned around and pulled a Christy Smith on her and everybody votes for Saria if she's going to be that pushy about stuff. I just I mean, remember she was being very scared for Saria in that moment. But, I mean, she pulls it off, she sticks to her guns, and, you know, takes out someone who, you know, if, if Yama doesn't go this episode, who knows how far he gets into the game. Yeah. Yeah, I do think it was very risky for her to be that pushy just because she did not have as much power as she thought she had. They could have all just teamed up to take her out. Well, I think that what she looked at as well is she's looking at the foursome that she is wanting to work with. And she's already established the fact that really the two that she's ultimately working with is Amanda and Parvati, right? 
And Amanda and Parvati are tailing along James and Ozzy as their sort of boyfriend vote things going on here, right? And the thing is, is that it's it's Ozzy and to a lesser extent James that want to vote out Eliza. And they've got myriad reasons why they want to vote out Eliza. She's weak and they think she's manipulative. And it's basically like, dude, did you see Survivor Manawatu? Like nobody ever wanted to work with Eliza ever. Like they're they're like Eliza's crafty and sneaky, but it's basically like Yao Man has more emotional pull on people than Eliza does. So it's it's a very sort of odd sort of deal, but it's like they really want to vote out Eliza. And Sari's like, I really think Yao Man is the better play. And Sari, I believe, is right that Yao Man is the better person to vote out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, it's it's Ozzy and James yelling, and Amanda and Parvati want to placate Ozzy and James because they're working with them. But Sari's basically like, look, this is the better call. And she sort of is looking at the four of them, but she's really looking at the two of them. Like, yeah. are you girls going to go with this and recognize that this is the right call? So it's like, I understand the notion, Paul, that she's, you know, she, she could have just stepped back and said, yeah, okay, we'll vote out Eliza this time. But it's like, then they're yielding power, even though temporarily, and they've got, you know, a, a majority of the three girls to the two boys. But it's like, you know, at this point, she's like, no, 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 we're establishing that we are you know, controlling this vote. I mean, I'm I'm making the call right now, but it's only because Ozzy and James are making a bad call on their own. And I think that Amanda and, and Parvati realized the 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 correct call. I do have to point out there's a great quote there for James when he astutely realizes, you know, we're giving Sari way too much power. Why is she dictating what we're doing? And he says, he's like back in China. I'm on the dumbass alliance again. <laughs> again, predating Russell by only a few seasons in terms of calling people dumbasses. Yes. Well, that is a word from Louisiana, I'm assuming, since they kind of knew each other, I think. Right. Through boo. Yeah, so that's a regional word, dumbass. Well, it's, but the, it's problem, Cajun word. the problem is, is that James has nothing to do about it. Like, because what James does not realize is that he, he's exactly right. They are giving Sari a lot of power, but what he needs to realize is, wow, Sari's got a lot of power. And if she's really, if it's really the four of us and she's our fifth person, okay, we, you know, she's got a lot of power this time, but we can, she's, she's the fifth person. We can vote her out at any time, or he needs to realize, wow, she's got a lot of power. There's an alliance going on within our alliance that I am not a part of. Yeah. But he doesn't realize that because he's James and that is how it goes. He's going to die. All right. Yeah, so we go to Tribal Council, and this is the one. And yet again, we're going to see Parvati talking at Tribal Council. Eliza just rolls her eyes every single time Parvati talks. It's hilarious. It, it explains the ending a little more when <laughs> how little respect Eliza has for Parvati and Amanda. But uh, yes, yeah, so Suri and Penner just have it out, have a big argument at Tribal Council. It's kind of ugly. You're not really used to seeing those scenes from Suri. From Penner, you're used to it because that's kind of what he does. But but I mean, yeah, so all... Suri's in the right here, in my opinion. I mean, she actually yeah. brings up, like, is this, isn't this not the pot calling the kettle black? Jonathan Penner is criticizing Suri of, you made a deal with this alliance, and it feels like you're turning on them. And Suri very correctly points out, dude, what did you just do three seasons ago? But the exact same thing, but even longer in the game when you knew these people and made deeper ties with them. It's definitely going yeah. back to, and people make the same argument, argument with like Sierra Easton from Survivor Cambodia as well with people saying like you guys aren't playing the game when really you're meaning you guys aren't doing what I want you to do and essentially that's what Penner's doing he's criticizing Sari for doing what he doesn't want her to do yeah and it's funny you can make the argument and I'm sure we're going to make this as we go along that Sari is probably the best player this season she Absolutely. makes some fantastic moves oh She's yeah like Barnum. the brains behind 
Yeah, just about everything. So, yeah, this is really the rise of Suri here. And unfortunately, it's one of those things that's unfortunate that Parvati gets all the credit for stuff that Suri really does. But it's really going to start here. Suri basically turns on Yao and Penner. She votes out Yao, and that is the end of Yao, man. And what's interesting in this tribal council is that there's six votes for Yao, and then uh, Amy votes for Suri, and then Eliza votes for Yao. So Amy Amy is kind of pissed at the way Suri flipped on them, and Penner's pissed, and we're, this is all going to come back next episode. But, you know, Suri has made her bed. She's in with the couple's alliance. She's really in with Amanda and Parvati, and that's just the way it is for now. She doesn't care what they think of her. She's like, this is it. That's how it's going to go. And unfortunately, we had to lose a sacrifice, a major, major figure in Survivor history in Yale Man here. Yeah. I mean, this whole tribal council was was ugly. But by the same token, I, I, I think that Mike brings up a good point in the sense that Suri basically is faced with a choice. She's got an alliance of four, and she's got an alliance of four, and she has to make a choice. And she very clearly is choosing the one that Penner is not on, and Penner's just basically upset that he's not the one that was chosen. And he does the whole, like, I think people should vote their conscience. And it's like, I think it's Suri, and I think that part, like, a bunch of people kind of give the, the, the WTF face to that, where it's like, what are you talking? Like, how does that a, a factor at all in anything? And Unfortunately, it's sad that not just Yao Man gets voted off third here on this season, but you know Yao Man is almost just an inconsequential side effect to yeah. the main power struggle that's going on. Where it's like, really, this is between Suri and Jonathan Penner, and Yao Man goes home. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and compare it to like we just talked about in the first episode. Oh, Johnny Fairplay, fantastic one episode character. But Yao Man, it's so interesting that this guy who only a calendar year ago was the biggest character out of Fiji, arguably one of the biggest fan favorite players of the past like five or so seasons. He's been relegated to an under the radar edit and an inconsequential boot in the third episode. It just doesn't jive for me in terms of his long-term arc. And I know that I think like he got called back for Heroes versus Villains and didn't ultimately make the cut. So I guess looking at Yao Man, we expounded so much love on him during Fiji. And it's sad that like this is, I'm going to make a bold claim here, the last we're probably going to see of Yao Man on Survivor. It's, it's a sucky way to go out, and it's one of these things where you can point to a returning player season and say, this is one reason why I don't like this format, is because it allows big players to sort of not necessarily solely their legacy in this regard, but like end on a weird note, where Yao went out on such a big note, he was the fan favorite who got eliminated just before the finals in a big controversial method in Fiji, but now he just sort of like whimpers pass you know, to the sidelines of the race that he just only did like a mile in in a 26 mile marathon and the yeah, last it, words we ever hear from him on the show during the reunion when he gets the gets thrown the question to outline what the advantages and disadvantages are and he has some rehearsed line about well the advantages is that what uh yeah we or that we something about we know how each other play the game or something and that's all we hear from yama that's the end of his story on survivor yeah, it's a shame because, I mean, think about this. He had less of a presence in this season than Mikey B. That's sad. I mean, that, he's a major character, and it's it's just, you almost forget he was even on this season. He, I mean, Fairplay had more camera time than Yao Man. But yeah, if, just, you wanna, if you want to extrapolate it further, I mean, there weren't any winners, uh, previous winners on this, uh, on the, the favorites that got brought back, right? But I, I guess if you're if you're going for like the big target people, like I guess you would say Amanda be a big target, but no one saw her go super far. So except for James, so like you know she she had that you know the the secret deadly you know she under the radar sort of 
end person. So it's like the big people are what James Ozzy and Yao Man, right? Like they're the well, fair play like, too at the start of the game, right? But fair play, we're not talking about fair play. Yeah. He, he wanted himself out, but it's like yeah. Yao Man's a big target. Like like not because he's a villain or people hate him or something like that people love him. I mean, Yao Man, you can't help but love Yao Man. But I mean, you saw Sari was like, man, Yao Man gets anywhere near the mid to late game, it's trouble. So yeah. you you have to get him out now. And it's like it was because he was so well known and feared and respected as far as you know a late game threat of this game goes that they had to get rid of him right away. Yeah, it always. I mean, it's it, it makes me wish Sari had not been on this season. I would have loved to see more Yao Man. It just it's just sucks but at the same time it's really like all stars all over again and it's again i, I don't hate micronesia all stars i hate i mean with the burning fire of the devil's anus i hate all stars with a passion but all micronesia i don't i just think it's unfortunate that this is just what happens in all stars in an all-star season you lost tina you lost rudy those are two elite survivor characters and in this one you lose fair play and you use the lose yao man like are you kidding me we're doing this again so, so that's just, why that's my problem with this you just hate it with a half anus yeah, exactly. Half anus. But yeah, that's the problem. And just on a personal level, I know how much Yao Man prepared for the season. Like I said, he talked to me, but I wasn't the only person he talked to. He was reading books. He was reading articles. I'm sure he's talking to plenty of people that knew Survivor. Like I said, he read my Psychology of Survivor book. He studied so hard for this all-star season to figure out how to do well in a returning season. And then he just fizzled out as if he wasn't even on it. And I just think that sucks. Yeah, but I feel like he wasn't the Sesternino position, but I feel like he was very close in the yeah. sense that, you know, Sesternino could prepare all he wants for that initial Survivor All-Stars. He's not going to go far, not because he sucks, but because he's got a big target on his back. And I think that yeah. Yao Man, it's similar situation. Like, Yao yeah. Man was almost drawing dead when he was going out there. I agree, but remember that only one person wanted Yao Man out. Everybody wanted Sesternino out. There's only one yeah. person targeting Yao Man. He would have been perfectly fine if Suri had not targeted him right there. Yeah, but someone was gonna. Someone was going to eventually, but yeah, the the fact that it was third and he had no chance and it wasn't even his fault. Although you can make the argument aligning with Penner and making it obvious that he's your he's your partner is not a good move. I don't think Yao Fair Play has Fair Play has said in interviews because you know Fair Play did say that he wanted Parvati gone first, uh-huh. and you saw that that was the thing. And part and he was like, my second one was would have been Yao Man, like. Okay. Penner or uh, Fair Play was gunning for Yao Man. I think he he says beforehand. I don't know, but especially after the boat smash thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, he was just like, which again yeah. was not his fault. Yeah, right. Sometimes an old man just overpowers you. So there's that. Yeah. So just a fitting, or perhaps not fitting, but a sad ending to Yao Man, who we just raved and raved about on our Fiji podcast just recently, and now he just goes out with not so much as a whimper and. Uh, Micronesia, so no, again, no I, lemon trees to be found whatsoever. Exactly, and I promise there will be none of that shit on this podcast. I know people hate it. <laughs> yeah, so and that's the thing. I think a lot of people forget that Yao Man was even on this season, to be honest. And that's it. I think we are going to stop with three episodes tonight. Yeah, yeah we really I mean, we need to build to the delicious fall of Mikey B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can't just end with Mikey B. You got to start with Mikey B. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll repeat again what I said in the beginning of this podcast, that these first few episodes, I think, are chock full of stuff. It's when we hit the switch. I mean, over the course of the next four episodes, we're going to lose like six people between Penner being evacuated, Kathy quitting, 
We're going to talk about more disappointing boots. We're going to Joel's is going to be fun, a nice little bit of hubris, but we're going to lose Tracy because her alliance is just going to get systematically taken apart. And it's going to, you know, it'll definitely pick up again when it gets to the post merge, but this is a very odd post switch time in the games. And I'm I'm assuming we're gonna, we're going to obviously cover all of it and maybe even some of the post merge next time, but the season's definitely going to go through a little bit of a metamorphosis from here on out. Yeah, and again, just to reiterate, none of us hate Micronesia. I know, again, people were expecting us to just trash the season. This is It's a fun season. There's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff to come that we're dying to talk about. So, again, this is not. I do not think this was an uh, unsuccessful season at all, but there, it's definitely, I do not think, as perfect as its reputation deserves either. Any more thoughts from Montana or from Jay? Is that my nickname Montana. now? Montana. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I think that's probably going to be it. We gave people, wow, a uh, almost three and a half hour podcast. Nice work. And we talked about three episodes. We're back, boys. <laughs> that's right. We're Historians. back and we're, and, we're, and we're meandering through a season just as we normally do. Yeah. I mean, we meander slower than Chet walking through the water. It's unlike the, the Survivor coral, franchise, we will not be making any changes anytime soon. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, that's good. It was hey, good to get back in the saddle. It's been a while since we recorded a full episode. Uh, hopefully, this one will get posted soon. We'll have a second one for you uh, relatively quickly. And uh, again, if you have any comments, uh, suggestions, feedback, if you want to make fun of Alexis, you can email us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. We do write back to everyone eventually, even though we're not the best at it. And I think that's it. You guys have anything more to add before we sign off? I think at this point... Um... I don't know if I've unpacked the survivor belongings from underneath the stairs, but I might be thinking about it. Yeah, I like following wow. Paul's personal history with the franchise as well as parallel to our coverage of this season. <laughs> it's like Pulp Fiction. We're going to jump back and forth between the timelines here. Yeah, but Paul's going to then like mess up the things that he said previously to really confuse people about <laughs> us being in multiple timelines. <laughs> it's the butterfly effect. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's it. Uh, thank you for listening, as always. Uh, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. And I'm Paul Oslison. And we will talk to you later. Thanks for listening. Bye. Let's see who else is on this tribe. Come on out. Yell man. From Survivor Fiji. Yell The biggest round of applause so far, Yell man. The next member of the favorites team... Amanda from Survivor China. Back across the ocean.